everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of battle of the atom this is your weekly x-men podcast where we normally rank every story from a to z i'm adam Reck, and if you couldn't tell by my somewhat creaky voice i went to new york city comic-con this past weekend zach unfortunately and understandably couldn't make it to the east coast so he's not here this week and uh, just as an aside, round of applause for Zach. This is his first episode uh, that he has not been on. So uh, everything could go wrong at any moment. We'll see. Over the last four days, I've clocked tens of thousands of steps and talked to tons of great creators. Uh, if you want the minute-by-minute play-by-play, go to Arthur Stacy on Twitter and get all the details on things like the Tiki Summit, my live tweet of the Dawn of X panel, and uh, even some pictures of me with you, our listeners. Uh, if I did run into you at the con, it was great to meet you, and uh, please stick your Battle of the Atoms sticker on uh, something that you love. Um, on today's show for this New York City Comic Con super special, we have uh, we have eight great interviews with ex creative people from days of future, present, and past, including Matteo Loli, Vita Ayala, Marcus Toe, Wils Portacio, Herman Peralta, Adriano De Benedetto, Matt Rosenberg, and Jordan D. White. We also have a bonus sit-down with New York Magazine comics journalist Abe Reisman. This is a big episode, so we will post the start times of each interview in the show notes, so you can bounce around if you want. Uh, but I highly recommend listening to all of it, because you will get some real insight into everything from Dawn of X to the creation of Bishop, and even some insight into whether Rivers Cuomo actually likes the X-Men or not. Before we start the interviews, I want to remind everyone that we are in week two of the nonprofit Kickstarter for Bish and Jubes, the collected edition. Uh, I want to thank anyone that supported the project in week one. And if you have been waiting for that uh, 15th paycheck to drop, I totally get it. But I do hope that you will head over to Kickstarter and order your copy um, and get whatever goodies you want sometime this week. Uh, and now, on with the show. <laughs> I, I feel like in uh, like a school. Uh... <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Here we go. I'm here with Matteo Loli, artist of Deadpool, As Guardians of the Galaxy, and the highly anticipated Marauders for Dawn of X. Uh, Matteo, how you doing today? Fine. Thank you. Thank you. It's going well. Yeah, everything's going well. We flight yesterday. I'm settled down in New York. Uh, what's best? Have you been to New York before? Is yeah, this, it's yeah. my... Well, I, I can't remember how many times I've been to the New York Comic Con, but uh, yes, I always enjoy coming here. Good. Um, now, you've worked with uh, Jerry Duggan before, yeah. right? On yeah. Deadpool. Yes. Um, what's your relationship like? Yeah, it, it, any, anyone uh, that uh, knows uh, Jerry can can uh, 
do anything else than love him because uh, he's, he's like the best uh, guy to interact with in the industry for me. He's like easygoing, he's always funny, he's like, uh, he's like one of the, almost one of the family because every time I speak with him, uh, he's, I feel like uh, I'm not in uh, New York, in another country, he's still like, uh, he's, uh, like one of my friends uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's amazing to work with uh, someone like that. Well, that's great. I'm glad you guys uh, have that kind of bond. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Now, this new book that you guys are doing, um, it seems to be getting maybe the most buzz, I think, of the Dawn of X books. Yeah. Um, is it fair to say that people should be excited? Yeah, it's uh, obviously, obviously. No, no, uh, I, I, I'm, I feel like uh, I'm a bit thrilled, also afraid, because uh, of all the anticipation that uh, this book is getting. But uh, yes, I, I think uh, Jerry did a great work. Obviously, like uh, his like his vision is not like uh, immediately coming out from the first issues. Like uh, it will take a lot to like develop. Uh, but uh, from what I've worked on, I see great potential on the title. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully the readers like will enjoy it too. How many issues in are you? Um, first two, then I'm part of issue five and. Uh, when I get back, I will work on issue six. I've all already finished uh, my part of issue five, but uh, yes, I, I think we are kind of rushing because, uh, like, I guess we're making a double uh, exit each month. Oh, right. Yeah. So yes, yeah, they seem to be rushing me uh, uh, a bit too much. But uh, <laughs> now you have in this new book such a cool cast yeah. of characters. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorites is Bishop. Oh, yeah. Who's your favorite out of the characters that you're working on? Oh, um, I think uh, Emma is. Uh, yeah, I always loved uh, even before like working on the character. Uh, I, I always loved uh, like that iconic character. But uh, working on the under like you you understand how difficult it is to balance her because like is uh, is. It's not that easy to uh, to get the good grip of it uh, of her, uh, but uh, yes, I I think I'm I'm enjoying each time I draw her more. Uh, I, I love it, and also Kitty. Kitty is uh, uh, I it wasn't one of my favorite characters, but working on her, it uh, it became one of the. Yeah, it seems like this is a newer take on Kitty Pride, you know, yeah. with the black eye yes. and the yes. jacket. Yes. Badass. Yeah. Badass Kitty. <laughs> um, yeah. what, what are they calling her now? The Red Queen, the Red King? Yes. You, you may not be allowed to say that. I no, don't no, know. no. Yeah, I, I'm allowed because I, I didn't know, but they, like, pushed out uh, my um, design design test for uh, the, the costume. Yes. So she will be the Red Queen. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, too, because um, lately this week, a lot of those fashion designs yeah. started popping up on Twitter. Yeah, so yeah. how many different looks have you designed for all these characters? Um, the, the, the more uh, the design I've done for Kitty, because uh, I received some uh, like direction from Jerry. Yeah. And uh, also Jonathan was involved. Uh, like uh, they wanted her to be like piratey, but still being able to uh, 
be agile on a boat. Uh, so I, 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 and I, I also I wanted to make a, like a, a, a bit posh, a bit like okay. uh, stylish. Yeah. Because uh, you're the Red Queen, you have like to be really uh, awesome in look. So. Um, I, I tried something very different, like to, to push out uh, some uh, different design, and um, always keeping in mind to like this uh, piratey allure or uh, like. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I didn't know where they wanted me to like uh, go. When we nailed down the first uh, few design that we liked, then it was like. Uh, Almost uh, already done, so I don't know if you know which one it was uh, selected. I mean, I've only seen I've, I've yeah. seen the designs, oh, yeah. Yeah. and then I've seen what's on the cover. Oh, yes, so. that's the cover. That's oh, yeah. really. Okay. Yes. Yes. I even uh, we have a friend of the show, uh, Christy Edelman. She's uh, already done a cosplay. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I love it. So. I've seen it. I said, oh, I, I was it possible? Yes, it's so fast. <laughs> I didn't expect it's it. It's amazing. Every yeah. day of you get these these great oh, yeah. reactions, yes. right? Yes. Um, now the the story, at least to start with, seems to be set on this boat. Yeah. Um, and water, I know, can be a challenge for a lot of artists. Yeah. Is 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 there a particular challenge to illustrating this book? Um, well, to to be true, it's not so all on the water because, like, uh, the, the the main challenge it was like when they land, oh, okay. uh, like because you have many settings, and uh, like uh, at start they are like uh, someone is there, someone is there, and uh, when you have to jump uh, to different location. You have to look for references, uh, like uh, to look uh, out that like uh, Taipei looks like, uh, or uh, something like that, and uh, uh, that that's the main difficulty. Uh, and also the the boats, yeah, yeah. because they they change the boats. <laughs> so the, I designed the, the the big boat they will be in. Uh, and, yeah, well, I won't tell anything okay, okay. else. But, yeah, but uh, yes, boats uh, are not that they're, easy. They're tricky, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like drawing a really good car. They're, yeah. they're not always easy. Yes. All right, Matteo, thank you so much for your thank time. You. I appreciate it. Good it's luck with pleasure. the book. Uh, good luck in general, and I hope you have a great con. Thank you. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you. been a pleasure. All right. I am here with Vita Ayala, a writer of Livewire, Prisoner X, and the Mystery Wave 2 book for Dawn of X, which uh, we're not allowed to talk about. But you know what? Let's talk about it anyway. Um, it is my understanding that despite there being a big Dawn of X panel uh, tomorrow, they are not announcing your Wave 2 book. Is that true? I believe that is true. Okay. Uh, I will be at least in the audience. <laughs> okay. So they don't, they're not even going to play up on the big stage? And... They might. I don't know. Okay. I'm a heckler, so I'll be there to give him hell. <laughs> I think a lot of fans reacted so warmly and positively to the SDCC announcement that you and Leo were going to be part of Wave 2. So what's been your reaction to the response? It's been incredible. Um, I, Lee and I get tagged in things all the time, even mm -hmm. though there's literally no information available. <laughs> like, not even, like, coded hints. Yeah. Um, which is really great. I I was really surprised that there was so much of a reaction because it was what like two sentences that's all <laughs> like, it was and these people have books yeah uh, but yeah people have been very very supportive they've they've been speculating 
um, which I try not to look at speculation <laughs> too much, but occasionally people will tag me and they'll be like, are you writing a Morlock book? And I'm like, can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> like, I love it though. The, the amount of passion that this has, like Hoxbox has kind of, I mean, X-Men fans are always passionate. That's mm-hmm. true. But yeah. like, I don't know, the engagement that people have had since the beginning of like House of X has been next level. It's been really, really awesome. They cracked the code in like half an hour. Yep. <laughs> yep. We all know how to speak Rick Owen now. And <laughs> it's real. I still have to look at the, <laughs> the little I chart. do too. And I, I, I did a little bootleg font of it that uh, I sent That's out on right. the internet. So even I have to go back and look at it. Like people are like, well, what is this? Adam? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Let me get my key out. Yeah. So have you been reading Hawksbox in real yes. time and enjoying oh, no. it? No I've, no, I've read it at like multiple stages. I've okay. read like the outlines and the scripts and then I will go and read the single issue like when it's released because it's like there's so much more at every stage. It's yeah. really, really wild. Uh, that guy's a genius and his co-creators, his collaborators rather are next level. I can't. Like, I'll open up one of the PDFs and I'm like, I gotta lay down. <laughs> Why am I doing this again? <laughs> like, yeah, Perez and RB and Adriano are, are knocking it out of the ballpark. Oh uh, and, and, you know, we've only gotten a glimpse into Hickman's scripting, you know, with uh, the, the director's cut in yes. Fox, Fox One, but it does seem extremely involved. Yes. Um, um, he, well, I don't know. It depends. I think that, like, number ones are really hard. I think oh, yeah. that's always the longest in terms of, like, establishing, like, characters and all this stuff. And so you put in a lot more information. But I'm sure that, like, by issue three, it's just like, you know what I mean. It's <laughs> fine. I don't need to explain yeah, you you know, what all this stuff is. It's true. Um, now, even though you can't talk about your, your Doc's book, um, I love it. Hot spots and docs. And docs. Yeah, we're it's getting really into good. docs. Um, you know, Wave One has some pretty solid teams. Yeah. Uh, there's still a lot of opportunities for casts in terms of, of who's not being cast in those books. But one of the things they stressed at SDCC uh, was the idea that these are kind of rotating casts, that not everybody is locked into a quote-unquote team. Um, without any specifics, do you feel like you're getting who you want to a certain extent? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I wasn't actually worried going in. Okay. Um, because I, I knew the lineups, I knew kind of who was writing what, and I was like, there's no, no one, like, I can, I will pitch for, like, mutants that I think are cool that are, like, not the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, no, absolutely. I've gotten more than I ever could have wished for. Okay. All right. That's that's yeah. a really good sign. Um, uh, are you getting, um, without being too specific, like some very interesting <laughs> challenges for yourself as a writer in getting absolutely. into this book? Uh, each book is very singular. Mm-hmm. Um, each one has like a legitimate, like a genre and a niche that it fills and only it can fill. And so I have a very specific type of book that is different than everyone else's book, okay. um, which I have a little bit of experience with, but not as much uh, as I as I would like to. So this is like a perfect opportunity to kind of stretch those muscles. Okay. I mean, we are getting like you know uh, X Men pirates. Yes. We are getting. Oh, it's so good. We're getting uh, you know sort of the. I, I, I'm guessing. I'm going to talk to Brian Edward Hill about this, but I'm guessing that Fallen <laughs> Angels is almost like a like a. A tactical squad for, you I know, so, I, I don't know. Like, but it, it, it's no book 
is like any of the other books. Okay. Like truly, that was, I, I don't know if this is true, right? So this is speculation on my part. Yeah. Um, but I think that going in, that was very much a th- Yeah, that's yeah, very intentional. Every book, sh- you don't have to buy them all, but you should want to buy them all because they're not doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's crazy. And it's a very ambitious publishing schedule, too. Oh, my gosh. So do you have a general idea of, like, even when your stuff is, yes. like, I know when hitting? it's Yes. Okay. I know when it's coming out. Um, I just, I don't know when it's being, like, Promoted announced. Promoted to yeah, announce. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky thing. Um, what do you think it was that brought... You know, was it editorial that reached out to you? Were you just part of the general conversation? I know that um, you're friends with some of these creators. Um, what was it that brought you back into the X-Men fold for this round? Um, so I, I was asked to pitch on something. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think that one of the things that's really important to kind of keep in mind, um, especially with, like, big two books, is that there's no guarantee. It doesn't matter if you're already writing a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was... Prisoner X hadn't finished coming out yet. Oh, okay. Um, but they were like, <laughs> would you like to pitch on this thing? Literally no guarantees, but you have a sense of kind of the, the stakes. Okay. Um, so was there a general outline or a concept, and then you're expanding on it? It was the, the concept. Okay. Yeah. Like a bare bones idea. Right. Okay. Um, but I think that if I had really wanted to deviate... As long as I had good justification, it probably would have been. Oh, that's fine. great. Um, okay. it's, I got to say that all all the people in that room are incredibly supportive mm-hmm. of, of everyone else. Like yeah. it's really an incredible experience. Um, but yeah, I, I I was told that uh, Hickman had read Mr. X, <laughs> which is not intimidating at all, <laughs> and had liked it. <laughs> And um, the person that approached me, the editor that approached me to pitch, was like, "I would really like to work with you if we can make it work." So I guess it was. I guess it worked. All right, that's awesome. I mean, I can't imagine that someone would read through Prisoner X and not want you back on the Xbox because it, you know, it's not for everybody, and I, I accept that. That's okay. Like, I truly support that. Like, it's not your kind of book, then that's cool. But the editors liked it. Yeah. And everyone that I've spoken to has been very supportive of it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, what is now Hickman seems to be kind of drawing this whole new world for (laughs) not to you know leap into Aladdin's song but um, (laughs) like this whole idea of a nation state of Krakoa right Um, what's your favorite sort of element of what he's been doing with the book so far man every time I read another issue it blows my mind and I don't know what I'm doing anymore Mm. But I loved when we got the maps, like even before it was out, like they had all the maps with the different places on them. And I was like, what is the wild hunt? What is yes. that? I want to be there. That's where I go. There's the no place. Yeah, like right. Um, but I will say that like what he did with the story of Moira McTaggart, I, I'm not recovered. Like, <laughs> I'm not recovered yet. And like, I remember reading it and going, this is, this is bananas like there's no people are gonna ride in the streets because like, it's so different and it like one of the things that's true about comic book fans across the board but especially x-men fans is that continuity has different levels of importance but right. like continuity is the through line and it it is something that people are very protective of and that 
flies in the face of all of that. And I was pleasantly surprised when X-Men fans were like, this is amazing. <laughs> I was like, all well, right. I think one of the concerns going into it was this idea that, you know, it was a lot of Hickman's greatest hits, you know, going into it. You know, a lot of themes that maybe he'd covered before. So the idea that, and it's not like he hasn't covered time travel or whatever before, but, but the, the concept behind that yeah. is layered in ways that I don't think we've encountered before. And I think it doesn't invalidate anything that's gone before. And I think yeah. that's really what people get protective of. It's like, this thing that I love, you are making it meaningless, which is not true. It'll always have meaning to you because yeah. it means you. But the way that he figured out how to do this did not in any way threaten that, no. which is... I can't. He's galaxy brain, man. Like, this guy's a genius. Well, and that brings up another question, though. For you guys that are on, you know, the actual ongoings stemming out of this, you know, big... I don't want to call it a reboot. It's not. It's, it's an extension of where we've been. Right. Um, but... A refocus, maybe. Are you... Sure. Um, do you guys feel like you have the same creative freedoms? You know, if you want to put forth a gigantic idea like the curious case of Moira McTaggart. Do you get to do that? I think so. I every so every idea that I've had and that has been discussed, the only thing that is necessary is that like, okay, let's make it make sense. Let's do the best okay. possible version of it. Yeah. Don't don't he's really into like don't don't soft play this. Like if you're gonna do it, go for it mm -hmm. and let's make it make sense. Okay. So like I literally have never had a more supportive kind of person that wasn't my direct editor in a room like that. Like, every time someone has an idea, he's like, well, let's look at it from all angles so we find the best one for it. So are you workshopping on this with the other writers, directly with Hickman, beyond working with Jordan on these books? It's like, I mean, as much as I can say, because I can't reveal all the secrets, yeah. um, but there has to be a lot of communication because okay. there's so many new moving parts. Yes. And so there are ways that we all can communicate with each other or ask questions with each other. Mm -hmm. So, like, there is that. Um, but, like, if you want to do something truly bonkers, yeah, you have to run it by <laughs> the people that are architecting. Yeah, I can kind of imagine that being an extra challenge to the writing process, you know? like Not at all. Okay, that's I, good. What has happened is, instead of being told no, I've had people workshop it with me, Okay. Uh, which I think is the best way to create. Like, <laughs> yeah. cut away the stuff that doesn't work and let's let's prop it up with things that do. That's a lot better solution than just like saying, yeah, we, we don't want to try that. Exactly, know? exactly. So. And also, I think that like, they were willing to do this, which is truly like, it's low-key, like, blowing stuff up. Like, oh, it's yeah. real wild. Sure. And if they're willing to do this, and I think they're willing to entertain really weird and outrageous stuff, mm -hmm. um, and Jonathan's into that, so... Good. Okay. Um, so when you're workshopping or, or communicating with these folks, I mean, I'm assuming you've done some actual in-person writing workshops with these guys, or... Um, we have met to... in a group and discussed <laughs> <Okay>. things. <laughs> uh, Has there been a retreat? <laughs> uh, kind of. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> Not like the big yeah. the big Marvel one, but like, we're a lot of people. There's a lot of people in the room. I mean, mm -hmm. even just the people that you've heard of, like, that's a lot of human beings. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, we've already, we're already up to six. If you and Leah each have a book, that's eight. I'm assuming there's more, um, which I won't I take can neither word. Confirm do, or not, deny. do not confirm or deny. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a lot of pieces to keep in the mix, you know. Um, now, X-Men is not your only world, though, right now. Um, you're also uh, about to release your new Morpheus series, right? 
Super stoked. Yeah. So how has that been working? You know, you've, you've gotten comfortable with in the X office. Um, I'm working, working on that one with one editor who I haven't worked before uh -huh. uh, with, but who is phenomenal. And then another that I have worked with who is also very, very good. Um, so it's, it's actually like oddly the chillest book that I'm writing. Right now. <laughs> They're just like, whoa, this is gnarly. Yeah. Print it. It's done. <laughs> I'm like, wait, should I have notes? <laughs> like, um, you give me some feedback on that gnarly <laughs> stuff. Um, the, I, the, <laughs> there have been times actually where like the editor's like, no, you can go that far. I, actually, if you just do this instead, it's even more gnarly. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, you sure? <laughs> like, well, Morbius is in this weird spot. I mean, he's both part of the Spider-Man universe, but right. he's also kind of like a Ghost Rider type, you know, like... And we're doing, I mean, we're giving nothing away. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a science horror book. Like, it's okay. really, like, mad. <laughs> They're letting me get away with a lot of stuff that I didn't think I'd get away with. Okay, well, that's good. Really you know, I mean, there's probably some low-key promotion for a potential future future film, right? I, you hopefully. Know? Okay. Hopefully. I'd love to get some get of the some runover of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now speaking of, all right, we've got wave two, uh, of docs, got Morbius. I mean, you're working for five, how many publishers are you working for right now? Five? Something like that. I'm also doing, uh, it just dropped the first issue actually, uh, a comicsology original. Yeah. Yeah. Quarter killer, um, uh, with the, with this person right here, actually Hello. writing with Danny Lore. <laughs> Um, which I can send you the PDF if you'd like. Oh yeah, we'd love that. Um, but yeah, I don't know anymore. I'm writing a lot of. I I live in Brooklyn. It's very expensive, so I gotta pay my rent. <laughs> so what's what's your schedule like? Because you're uh, you know you're going through the week. I I work every day. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to do my best writing after 2 p.m., but that doesn't mean I don't try to do writing before. <laughs> okay. um, generally, I I'll work on one project at a time, mm -hmm. but I don't have a problem switching gears between days. So like I can work on one script one day and another another day. That's not a problem. I know some people have to see something all the way through before yeah. they can like I ain't got time for that. <laughs> um but I generally I work from like ten AM to like nine PM. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, so you're putting in some solid hours. Yeah. During the day. weekend I'll take some time off yeah. in the day. See my wife. And do you do you have to like give yourself specific days and say, hey, today I'm working on this, or, or are we going through a, an afternoon and like shuffling between things? No, each day I I can't I can't switch between projects in a day unless it's like this is a lettering pass and this is a script, yeah. or this is like you know I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I, I whatever the day is, that's what I'm doing for that day. Um, yeah, that that's beyond my. <laughs> I need you, a reset. <laughs> you are incredibly busy, which is good. Um, I'm very glad that you're out there and you're successful. Um, you just sat down with this absolutely gorgeous piece of original uh, artwork. Yeah, Herman uh, Peralta. Peralta. He, uh, so, like, one of the things that I really wanted that I did not get, get for Prisoner X was uh, Mullet Bishop. Yeah, <laughs> I love right. Mullet Bishop. Uh, but, so I snuck it in as much as possible, and Herman gave me a page uh, which has Mullet Bishop on it, which I'm still emotional. I almost cried at him. I was like, I gotta go. Now, you were saying before we went on air that um, you'd never met Herman. Never. So, well, he doesn't, he's not local at all. Right, yeah. He, um, but he was here, and actually, uh, Danny pointed him out, and I stopped by, and he's the one warmest person oh. I've ever met. So sweet and so sincere. Uh, and I 
I'm sad that we're not working together right now, but he is working with Teeny. Yes. And so I can't be sad about that. Yeah. I'm really glad that he's part of the, the new wave, which is which is really exciting. He's incredibly thoughtful, incredibly um, he does a lot of stuff that you don't actually see on the page. A lot of like character study stuff, a lot of thinking about the way the characters carry themselves and move. Um, just all this extra work. Um, and he's very communicative, which I really like. Mm -hmm. I really, really love talking to my collaborators. Like, I'm super into that. And so, like, it was just such a pleasure working with him. I want to do it again someday. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you actually got a chance to meet him. And, and this page of, uh, you know, sort of our 90s classic fish going up against yes! the Sentinel is... Uh, oh, my God. It's a really good one. It was a throwback. I needed to have my Sentinel Bishop moment. Like, I needed it. <laughs> I loved Prisoner X. I, I thought it was absolutely outstanding. So, um, Vita, I know you're not allowed to talk about any specifics, but what are some things that you're just, like, really excited about in the coming year uh, for, for what you're working on, or I'm, in I'm general? really psyched for Bond. Um, oh, okay. I know that's not X-Men. <laughs> I'm super psyched about this X-Men book, but I, I can't talk about it, and no, so, no. like, I want to talk about it. <laughs> um, but Bond has been such a pleasure. So I'm writing it with Danny Lore. Um, and it's like getting to write characters that you grew up loving, like Bishop, like Bond, is like it's a mind trip. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing the reaction to that as well. <laughs> seeing if we hit the mark, I think so. Um, I'm just looking forward to having fun. I'm, I've scaled back, doesn't seem like it, but I've scaled back on how many books I'm writing, and that means that I can enjoy the process a lot more. And, so, like, I'm looking forward to enjoying the process of writing, like, an X-Men book. Like, how cool is that? That is really cool. <laughs> like, it's so cool. Just meeting today. Yeah. Well, Vina, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we'll have to catch Pleasure. up again once uh, yeah. we actually figure out what it is you're doing. Yeah. When's your Kickstarter launching again? Uh, Kickstarter launches on Tuesday. Sweet. So, thank we'll you. supporting that. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for being a, a supporter of Bishop Jukes. It's, of course. It means a lot to me. No, it's the best. All right. Thank you again, Vita. Appreciate thank it. You. All right, I am here with Marcus Toe, uh, artist of the Age of X-Men's Next Gen Mini and the upcoming Excalibur. Uh, Marcus, without spoiling anything, what is mutant magic? Oh, man. Uh, see, I, <laughs> that's a tough question to ask. <laughs> you may not be able to answer that one, but... Well, I mean, what's what's already been established in the, the book uh, of... Thought, uh, you know, the House of X and Powers of Ten and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff is, has been established that, you know, a lot of mutants derive a lot of their, I wouldn't say powers, but a, a lot of themselves from Krakoa. And I think that's where a lot of the magic comes from, mm. is from that, from that island and from the flowers that bloom there. Now, Excalibur has a long and storied history in a various permutations. Were you a fan of the original Excalibur? Claremont, Davis, was that your bag? That wasn't quite my bag. That was my, uh, I, was, I was a little bit later okay. uh, in the Excalibur ages. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Pete Wisdom went, got there, when Colossus was there, uh, when Kitty Pride was dating Pete Wisdom, that was my era. Okay. Uh, but I know a lot of guys in my studio at Raid Studios, they grew up on that because they were a little bit older than me, about six to seven years older than me. And they all said that that was the book that they picked up because that was the newest X book. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's yeah. how they started that. And you didn't have to read anything else 
but it, except enjoy Excalibur. That's true. It, it was yeah. kind of standalone. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of these Dawn of X books, the way it's been described is kind of rotating casts. Do you feel like this is its own standalone, or does it sort of weave in between some of the other stories that we're going to see? Well, the way the book starts, we're kind of knee-deep right at the end of, of, of what was established with the yeah. right? So, from our first arc, it, it's pretty standalone. We mentioned a bunch of things. Uh, there's going to be a lot of characters that you haven't seen yet, okay. which is it's super exciting, yeah. I think, for fans. Uh, I, we're establishing everything that these characters have gone through, but are going to go through next. So the first issue is uh, quite a large one. So you guys get a lot of story out of the first one, and it really sets the stage for everything that's uh, coming ahead of us. So, but it's it's pretty standalone. Yeah, it's uh, we're gonna we're gonna really focus on you know uh, Betsy and her her new her new uh, self. Yeah, as, you were, as it were. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's a, a really cool status quo change for for her yeah. as a character. And I think I think that's what we're writing. You know, like having having such a large change in who she once was and mm-hmm. now she's really by herself in a lot of ways and uh, especially with uh, Krakoa being only for mutants you know she's very close to Brian and she can't be oh. you know she can't be living with Brian all the time now anyway so they have to be apart it's an interesting I think we're idea. Yeah. yeah okay um, now with Next Gen you were drawing a lot of sort of the young I don't want to call them B-listers but you know, not the not the core X Men. This yep. new team you've got is like A listers throughout. I mean, do yeah. you have a preference of what you like to draw in terms of uh, you know the X universe? You know, each uh, you know, it sounds like cop out when I say like each book is, has its own you know enjoyments. Like a lot of the characters that I got to draw in Next Gen were a lot of fun as well. Uh, I think with the A listers. What was the most fun out of it was actually, you know, designing their costumes because you have oh, these okay. really iconic yeah. guys, and you have to try to stay true to, you know, their their looks as mm-hmm. much as you can, but trying to update them. Now that was that was really exciting to do. So now the new um, the new Betsy Braddock Captain Britain look. Yeah. Um, how many versions of that did you go through before you, you know you it, settled on on the? It went the pretty one? easy. It yeah? actually okay. went pretty simple. Like uh, we got. Um, you know, I spoke to TD on the phone. We talked about what, you know, we both wanted or were looking for, uh, styles. She sent over some ref that she was pouring over, mm-hmm. and then I used that ref and parlayed it to more, you know, um, a deeper searches on certain uh, looks that we're, we were going for. And, you know, I really wanted to try to stay true to, you know, the, the you know, traditional Captain Britain looks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the color scheme and the... The, the the cross across the uh, the chest we made sure to keep uh, her helmet still basically looks like the old Captain Britain one uh, we'll see her wear the the mask slash helmet a few times in the story but I also wanted to have her you know look like a leader mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's the point of the cape that's the point of uh, the, what I thought would be her gold X's it really kind of I thought it would give her a lot more, you know, like knight in shining armor yeah. leader look to her, and uh, I think I think that was the main goal. So that 
you know, that went pretty easily, I'd say. Yeah, there's something majestic about the look, especially with, you know, some of the illustrations have had her with flowers in her hair, yeah. almost like a floral wreath. It's really neat. Yeah, and I, I, I looked through a few, uh, a few um, you know, looks on uh, English, you know, I don't want to say it's uniquely English knights, but, you know, English maidens mm -hmm. mixed with uh, female armor mixed with a couple things and the the flower motif that was was quite prevalent right okay. so I, I i thought it was only it was only right to have her with it especially with the uh Krakoa flowers you know specifically uniquely for the book why not right now another character who's extremely majestic but is not usually on a superhero team yeah You're, you've got apocalypse on yeah, your team yeah yeah how has it been drawing him in I don't know if I want to use the word heroic because we don't know if that's the way the story is going to go down, but um, he does seem to be on this team. Yeah. So what's that like? Oh, it's been it's 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 a challenge in a, in a visual standpoint because he's so large. Yes. Fitting him in in panels sometimes is difficult, but it's he's an immensely fun because every good story has good conflict, mm -hmm. and what better team conflict than having a Probably one of the greatest villains in X-Men lore and on your team, and you have to find a way to work with them. Yeah. So, But they're all working towards really the same goals, is to protect mutants. Mm -hmm. But different people have different ways of doing it. Now, did you have a hand, because we've seen in House of X-6, we've seen Pepe Larraz's, like kind of version of yeah. Apocalypse. Did you have a hand in that design, or is your design in Excalibur different than what we've already seen? Because uh, he seems to kind of be rogue, if yes. you will. Yeah. Uh, Tini and I discussed it. And we we thought to ourselves that, especially it's been which has been established already in House of um, House of X, was that you know, Apocalypse felt like he no longer has to fight anymore because he's gotten what he wanted. Right. So imagine if you were fighting your entire life, now you can just shed all that armor mm -hmm. and wear the clothes that you, you know originally wanted to wear so a lot of my designs we were trying to go with a little bit more that you know pharaoh egyptian kind of Ooh. his background was yeah. that and uh i actually like apocalypse was the one that took a lot of a lot of tries okay uh you know maybe when the book comes out i'll release more of them but i went full egyptian wizard at one point <laughs> and then i i pulled like oh, i think we would love to see that yeah yeah it'd be really cool um, you've mentioned Teeny a couple times. Yeah. Um, she's she's feeling under the weather this week. We hope she's feeling better soon. But yeah. how is that relationship and working with her on this book? Oh, fantastic! I, I mean, I, I don't I I uh, I've met her only through this project, so I didn't know her before. Oh, okay. Her, which is uh, you know a very unique experience. Um, as with any new partnership, uh, it takes a little while to. You know, get comfortable with each other's mm -hmm. uh, writing styles and art styles. But now we're, I mean, it, I, I'm just gonna finish issue five next week, so we're rolling really good. Like it's been a great experience. Um, I learned a lot from Teeny. Uh, she writes a very compelling script, and every after every issue, I'm just like. Oh man, what next? So <laughs> that's, that's a good feeling. Yeah, and and yeah. that makes it exciting. It, it makes it exciting for me to draw that because I want to convey that those same feelings when I'm reading it in my art. So 
the pacing changes and a lot of things when you're reading a, a, a writer's script, like trying to understand their pacing and their tendencies to um, reveals and different things like that. The, it's, it's really fun. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad it's going well. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you've got commissions to get to. Yeah, no problem. Uh, one last question. What are you most excited about in the coming year? doesn't even have to be X-Men. Oh, uh, well, I'll be honest. My life uh, so far has been just drawing this book. Uh, so I'm really excited for this book to come out. I know it sounds good. like a cop-out, but no, it's not I, I, I have been more... not Nothing has excited me more than hopefully you know, this book coming out. Hopefully the fans will, uh, you know, feel the excitement Good. through the pages. Marcus, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. Guys, I am here with an X-Men legend, the one, <laughs> the only, Wills Portachio. Wills, thanks for uh, coming on the show. How are you? Oh, great, great. I'm here at New York, and it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I yeah. thought San Diego was crazy, but this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so let's go back to... I think the first time that I saw your work was the Legion of the Night mini. <laughs> and I distinctly remember there was a two-issue thing, and I only had the first issue. But I loved it. I mean, you have such a distinct, uh, you know, how do you describe your own style in terms of an artist? Cause well, well, you know, that's interesting because I'm kind of a, a spot kind of brain guy, you know. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't get into comic first. I got into science fiction novels. Okay. You know, and, and the old school ones that were a lot of just real tech stuff because they were they were really, you know, like scientists back then. But um, uh, uh, it's interesting that you say that was the first thing that, that you were introduced into my stuff uh, because I actually was offered X-Men. Okay. And turn it down to do this first. Really? Yeah, I mean, I just love the... I, I just... As an artist, I love challenges. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, if you remember in the, in the book, there's, there's the story, and then there's this corner, which has a subplot. Yes. Basically. Yeah. You know, and so... That was written in the plot, and it was like, so how am I going to do a sub thing? Mm -hmm. And then I thought of that, and I go, oh, wow. You know, so I love challenges like that, especially, I mean, after 30 years, you know, you know, drawing Wolverine or, or Superman or, you know, over and over again, you know, it's certain poses. Yeah. And, you know, you don't get bored, but it's, it becomes, you know, a little monotonous. And so to have challenges like that, you know, it's it's it's... It, it, it's really cool and fantastic. But see, going back to your the, your question about my style, it's really interesting because I, I'm one of those guys when I was young, um, I was uh, like a sponge, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I was really bad. I mean, I'd buy a Jack Kirby comic and I'd be drawing like Jack Kirby. Okay. And then the next day, I'd buy a Neil Adams comic and I'd be drawing like, like Neil Adams, Adams, you know. Okay. And even though, I, 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 I mean, that's a certain skill level right mm -hmm. you know um and even though I I, I I i like that i achieved that i didn't like that i i, I didn't have a style okay and so just timing uh my dad who was in the u.s navy he retired and brought us back to the philippines you know we were raised here you know so we went over back over there and there were no more comic book stores and i was in that mindset okay i gotta get my style and so Believe it or not, I, I, I thought it out, and I go, 
okay, I packed all my comic books, put them in a suitcase, stuffed them in my closet, and never looked at a comic book again until... Until you got your, until your book. I got, yeah. Okay. So I forced myself to not, you know, mimic or remember anything. You know, get into the mind frame of, okay, how am I going to do this pose I've never done before? Yeah. Now, your, your work, I mean, with Legion of the Night, there's horror stuff in there. Um, you mentioned before you love sci-fi. Um, I think some of those sort of, like, technical aspects really started to fold over into your X-Men work. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, the cyber eye, if you will, uh, that, that we see in your Uncanny run. Well, um, well you know, if you talk to um, other sci-fi... Actually, it's science fiction. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sci-fi is a modern uh, a term. Um, if you talk to a lot of science fiction guys, and what, what it really is about is world building. So you build a world that um, has transporters. Mm -hmm. And the technology is based on, let's say, energy or whatever. Okay. Now, what else? Oh, other technology would would sprout out of that kind of energy technology. Yeah. And then what does that mean? So what are the the bad side of that? I mean, is there fallout? Is there, you know? And so you build that world and then you have to follow those rules. So when I got into um, in uh, comics, which is great for a creator because you're kind of a semi-god, you know? If, if, if I wanted Michelle Pfeiffer in my, you know, comic book, she has no choice. She's going to be, I'm going to draw her. <laughs> You know, I don't have to talk to her age right, first. Right. If I want it to rain, it's going to yeah. rain. And so, for a science fiction guy, it's great because now I can just go crazy. Because there, there are, uh, especially in superheroes, there's no parameters. There's yeah. no limitations. And so that's why, uh, on, you know, uh, on the X-Books, you saw us go all over the place. Yeah. Following all of our influences. Lord of the Rings, Cybertech cyber, uh, cyber was starting back then. Um, uh, visually, it was actually starting with um, uh, uh, the Japanese, with their manga, with um, uh, um, uh, uh, what's what's Robotech and stuff like that. No, no, or... it, it was yeah, Macross. Yeah, um, and then uh, Appleseed. Oh, okay. Somebody yeah. sent us the mangas for mm -hmm. that, and we went crazy over that stuff. And then somebody sent us a, this is how long the VHS tape of uh, uh, Macross. Uh, Oboite Mas or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and j that was our first, the first time we saw mechs. Yeah. And we were actually some of the first people in the U.S. to see those mechs. That's so interesting because, you know, I don't necessarily think about you as being the guy who always likes to draw robots necessarily, but you, you can kind of see that influence because a, a lot of your characters have cybernetic components to them or, or, or tech around them? Well, well, I'll tell you the... the, the I mean, again, I, 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 I've already said it twice that I'm, I, I got a Spock brain and I love science fiction, world yeah. building. What appealed to me in, in the Macross movie was the very first time that mech transformed. Because it wasn't, you know, like... I mean, you know, you know, Transformers in the movies today are really good, but it's kind of magic. Right. You know, but when you saw that mech um, in Macross transform, you knew it worked. And then when you when they started selling the toys and you bought the toy and it worked, it really I mean, that's what appealed to me that okay. it actually works. So like whenever I do tech, whenever I try to build a a, a costume or, or or a power, 
that's what I think about. Yeah. I mean, that's why then, I mean, a lot of people love my uh, Iceman. Mm -hmm. And it was just all out of that kind of a thinking. Okay, he's ice. He would condense. How would, uh, the atmosphere would affect him. The different temperatures would affect him. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's what I drew in there. I didn't just, I, I, I did, I, my brain, my brain wouldn't let me just draw a square-headed guy yeah. who's, who's, who's ice. <laughs> now, I think from all of the, the work that you've done in the X world, I mean, obviously, the character that you're most renowned for is the creation of Vision. Yeah. Um, have you sort of kept up with what Bishop has done over the decades, or are you not interested in what people do with your creation? I'm scared. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well. I mean, here, here's 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 a, 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 a not an unknown fact. Um, you got to go back to uh, uh, the timeline. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I get uh, they decide to split up the books to make two strike teams, right? right? So that's 281. And then in the middle of 281, they go, oh, Wolverine's on the other side, so you need a new powerful. Yeah. Okay? So I create in two weeks, uh, uh, while doing 281, Bishop. Get that approved, and then go, okay, put him in number 282. So I put him in 282, and that's when Jim Lee and Todd approached me for image. Wow. And then so right after 282... <laughs> I announce, we announce our departure, yeah. and then Marvel goes, okay, but you you got to give us two more issues. I think two or three issues, I forget yes. exactly how many. And so we did two more. So I only did like a couple Bishop issues. Right. Okay, so Marvel on the East Coast, my editor, Bob Harris, I'm on the West Coast. So when he calls me and says, create a new hero in two weeks, I go, okay, in the West Coast. Two weeks later, I get on the phone, pitch it to him verbally. He goes, good. What's his name? Bishop. Good. Okay, put him in the next issue. I drop the phone, and I draw. Right. The only thing Marvel, Aka, Bob, Harris knows is my verbal pitch. And, see and then three months later, I quit. <laughs> see, see why I'm scared? Yeah. Because they actually don't know what I was doing with Bishop, what That's I intended for him. Okay. So, which is why then... People ask me, so what I think about the movie and the visual obvious thing is everybody talks about the dreadlocks. Yeah. But I'm happy that I've only done, I think, three issues of Bishop, but his personality, his the way his power is set up and that he's an older X-Men is in the movie. And so I'm happy that my okay. issues, I, I'd like to think that my issues somehow superseded all the other ones to get into the movie. Well, let me ask you about that a little bit because um, I think I may have shared this with you last year. I, I actually do a, a, a X-Men fan comic called Fish and Juice. Oh. <laughs> it's about Bishop and Jubilee going on like silly adventures. Um, now, my impression of the character has always been, and this may not be due to, you know, what your intentions are, right, right, right. that he was sort of this gruff militaristic guy, but at the same time he was also like the ultimate X-Men fanboy to a certain extent because he comes from a future where those characters were revered and worshipped. Right. Is that in line with what you wanted out of the character? See, that's why I'm afraid it, it it's almost. Yeah. Okay. You gotta go back then to that phone call. Okay. Bob Harris's only parameters was okay, your team is considered underpowered a little bit. 
So okay. you need a badass dude like Wolverine. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I would just like to note that's a little silly, given that Storm, Colossus, I spent on team, but go ahead. Well, it's also, I mean, one real big lesson of the uh, uh, of uh, Professor X is it's how you use the power. Yes. And how you, and, you know, I mean, you could have a power and not understand how it, how it could be used in other ways. Right. You know? So anyways, so it was, okay, a badass guy like Wolverine. Now... Believe it or not, I mean, I'm a Navy brat, so that's why you see all this military stuff in uh-huh. my stuff. Um, believe it or not, one of the lessons that I learned very quickly because of the military influence, you know, if I know, I've known Navy SEALs, I know somebody in Team 6 and yeah. stuff like that. And one thing you understand is these are the guys that are not the stereotype um, uh, 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 hoo-ha, mm-hmm. you know? These guys do the real stuff. They see the real life, you know? And so, these are warriors that are trying to stop that from happening again, you know? So, when I was told, like Wolverine, my perception, especially at that time, remember, that was when he was bursting out. He originally appeared earlier, but nothing really happened. Yeah. But only when he went psychotic and was... was, was was uh, uh, proclaimed that he could step over the line. Yeah, go berserker. Right. See, that didn't work for me military-wise because those guys aren't that. Yeah. If those guys are berserkers and can freak out and can blow up emotionally, they're not going to be very effective. Mm. You know? Uh, I mean, like, another thing about the, like, the SEALs is you don't really see huge, tall guys because they understand bullets kill. So... They have. They understand cover. They understand how to survive. And if you're a huge, huge guy, there's very few places to hide. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So if you've seen seals or spec ops guys, a lot of them are are on the quote unquote um, smaller size. Yeah. So, anyways, going back then to Bishop, I then go, okay, how can I do a badass guy, but that's not psychotic? Mm. Because again, psychotic, if you follow that realistically through, he either kills himself or he just goes bonkers. Yeah. Right? And so, how do you sustain a military guy that way? And so I started thinking like Navy SEALs and Spec Ops. And then I started thinking Philippines. Because even though I was raised here, I was starting to get into my own heritage. And I started to find out that we have a lot of, I mean, in different fields, music, billiards, sports and stuff. And a lot of our top guys are those kind of guys that are like sponges there where their skill set is just, it just seems to come easy to them. Yep. And because it seems to come easy to them, that's not what, that's not their life. Yeah. Their life is beyond that because it's easy. If it was hard, they'd have to concentrate on it. They'd have to keep practicing and stuff like that. So I go, how do I get a character like that? And I instantly thought of Days of Future Past. If you're in Days of Future, my supposition was if you're in Days of Future Past and you survive to like 10 years old or 15 yeah. years old, that means you have this, you're innately born with the skill set mm-hmm. to survive. So I was thinking, then Conan, another favorite of mine through the book, oh, so if we have somebody in battle, born in battle like that, a mutant, and he's able to survive back, that now is like the Filipino thing comes easy to him because it's his DNA. It's just innate with him. Yeah. And so my bishop really is 
somebody who appears gruff because he's from a more gruffer world, uh -huh. but in that world, he's actually not a gruff guy. I mean, you, you get the, right. the, the standard is, yes. is, is different. Yeah. You know, so in that world of Days of Future Past, he does his job because it's easy. He's got what he has to do. It's what the, the whole community survival depends on that. And then at the end of the day, he comes home. He goes, where's the party? Because, again, he doesn't want to then spend the rest of his day thinking about battle. Yeah. You know, thinking about the harshness of, of the world. If not, then he'd go crazy, right? Just constantly mulling over how how unfair the world is. Yeah. Right? So that is my... That's why... And... Um, the other parameter that Bob gave me was make sure that his personality made the other members on the team react to him in some way. Yes. So think about it. A powerful big dude who just loves life. So he's really he feels really comfortable in his in his manliness because hey, I don't have to brag I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Go You're going to be dead soon, you know. <laughs> you know? And I I, I, I I can be so relaxed in, in with, with women, with, you know, social situations and so because that's what I concentrate on. So imagine then Peter next to him, Petrov, you know, the man boy. Yeah. He's big and huge like him, but he's unsure of his manliness. He's not yet mature enough yet. So Peter would be kind of like unease. How how come it's so easy for him and I can't even talk to Jubilee right now? Yeah. You know? And and so on and so on with, with the rest of the team. I just use that stereotype with, with well that character set with Bishop and if you look through all the, the rest of the team, the rest of the team would react to that. And that is the secret of Bishop. Well, the secret of another character, a new character going into an ensemble. It's an ensemble. They work together. So this guy can't be totally new. Right. He has to be a... I mean, again, there are... Like Peter, there has to be people that he, he can balance out. And then he fits in the ensemble. If not, then he becomes a villain or he becomes an outsider, you know. But see, that... that again, that's my spot brain just, you know, just analyzing things. I didn't go, okay... This is a character I've been thinking about for 10 years and then try to squish the square peg into the, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now, despite maybe not following Bishop's timeline, you have done some a lot of X-Men work this year. Uh, you did an issue of Major X. You've yeah. done a lot of variant covers. Um, are, are you happy to be back, you know, into the X-Universe? Uh, yeah, especially coming in through um, doing uh, uh, that issue of Major X. That was um, two, one providence and two very easy. Um, believe it or not, that day I was going, okay, um, it, it's 19 years after my diabetic coma, and I think I brought my skill sets back there. Now, can I do a month, uh, 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 an issue again in yeah, a month? Yeah. And Rob called up the next day. That's serendipitous. Yeah, and and <laughs> and it's probably it it, it 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 was easy too because. See, no matter what you may think of Rob, you gotta you gotta give him he's successful, mm -hmm. and he's done so much with some with characters and he's seen them through. Okay, now the other part of it is he because of it, he's also a writer and a creator, not only being an artist. So when a artist writes, he writes in the language of an artist. So he's writing and he's going oh. 
I would need a page for this. Oh, a splash needs to be here. And that's the same way my brain works. Okay. Our brains work the same. Speak the same so, language. Yeah, so yeah. It, even though it was the very first script I've ever worked on off of Rob's, it was, it was just like, you know, getting on a bicycle that's again. That's great. I'm glad it was a good experience. No, it, 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 it was fantastic. I mean, especially in this day and age, I mean, not uh, to do one little tiny rant. Um, back in the day when when the numbers were better, on, you know, yeah, interestingly enough, publishing-wise, yeah. I mean, X-Men, you were doing 300, 400,000 a month. But interestingly enough, it was its, comics wasn't saturated yet in society, mm-hmm. right? It was only us, Yeah. right? Um, so back then, upstairs didn't really bother us. So when you prove that you could do the job to the editor, the editors kind of let you play. Yeah. You know, we got our, we got the cover. Mm-hmm. That's the big incentive. Because especially for a collector, you could sell that for a lot of money. And the interior page is a lot less, you know, uh, depending on what book and what artist it is. But that's, the, again, the incentive. And then you talk with the, uh, 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 the, the writers over the phone. I used to talk for hours with Louise, Louise Simonson. Um, and this was before the internet or cell phones and everything. So it, it was an actual effort, right? Yeah. Um, nowadays, where each character can be a multi-million dollar property and IP, yeah. now, I mean, remember back then, when, when I got an X-Men, I changed the costumes. When Jim got an X-Men, he changed the costumes. When Mark caught on, he changed the costumes. That was unwritten law. I mean, you didn't totally change it, but you could adjust the costume to your style. Right. Now you can't even do a change the curly cue on you know Superman. You, it, 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 it's it's money. It's a little more sacred. Yeah. So now because it's the money factor comes in so much. Upstairs is really really keen on okay where are we going with this? How are you going to get there? Before it just used to be get the, go there and if the sales go down, what are you guys doing? Yeah. You know, but that's the only time they came in back then. So it is a different, different, different world. You know, but but you gotta, it, it, like everything else, you gotta, you know, you gotta push and pull. You gotta trade off because now, I mean, look at these conventions. I mean, I'm going, you know, next week I'm in Manila. Oh, that's awesome. You know, last month I was in uh, Korea. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's what you know. Global awareness of superheroes has given me, but. You know, on the business side, it's a little different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your oh, time today. You, I really appreciate it. All right, I am here with Herman Peralta, the illustrator of my favorite Age of X-Man book, Prisoner X, uh, and also the upcoming Strike Force, right? Exactly. Yeah. Are you excited, excited about Strike Force? Yes, of course. Yeah? Yes. It's a very cool team that you have there. Yes. Um, one of the things that really struck me about Prisoner X is your facial expressions. How do you how do you capture facial expressions so well? Well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know it. Uh, and I'm trying to to put a, a different expression. It's called, uh, it's something obvious, but um, I'm trying to. To put an expression, a different expression, uh, any character, right? So, um, 
there is a, a funny one, uh, an angry one, and I try to act myself, those expressions, I try to put in black characters and, and take some pictures, or I search, but something funny is that uh, when I search in, in internet for reference, uh, there, are, there are some bad actors, yeah. so the, the expressions <laughs> are not what I'm looking for. So I try to act myself, and I am really bad <laughs> acting, but I try to to put uh, what I know in drawing and mix it with my expression, so mm -hmm. I, I try to play them. So there's a little bit of you there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think uh, Vita and I were looking at the page that, uh, that you gave her. Uh, it has Bishop in original 90s mode, you yeah. know, he's very angry, but then in the bottom, it's him in the present, in the story. He just has this look of utter bewilderment on his face. Yeah. So, do you keep a mirror handy? You do photo reference? Yeah, yeah, photo reference and, and a mirror too. Mm -hmm. and, and try to, to make that expression because, like you said, uh, Bishop is like uh, surprised uh, uh, every time. Yeah. But he's a, a strong character, so it's it's uh, it's expression that we don't see every time in, in, in those characters. Uh, something similar with uh, with cable in cable cosplay with and Zach Thompson uh, was a, a very huge character with guns and everything. Uh, but in in that arc, it was so expressive and uh, it was uh, hard to find that mix. But I think it works. I think of course. One of the other things that I think you do very very well is environments. So in Prisoner X, um, you, you have this cell-like structure that they're in, you know, this prison that they're in. Um, it doesn't look like a real prison, but you you basically have to invent what that world looks like. So what's that process like for you? Well, what's hard because I, I like to to make uh, backgrounds with uh, a lot of textures and, and spots and splatter and all the things, but it has to be clean. And, and simple. Yeah. So I was afraid because um, my style is the contrary, and, and I was afraid that people think that I was uh, being uh, lazy. Oh. Uh, so, but it was hard for me because I, I am not so clean with my lines and all the things. So I was trying to, to make all the, the backgrounds clean, and that's why uh, in the characters I are gray. But sometimes in the background don't, uh, and every every background change uh, with the, the minds of the right of the yeah. characters. Uh, like this is a zoo and Bishop is a prison, mm -hmm. but Gary is a school. So, so I I was trying to make that difference, uh, and I hope it works. It was pretty successful, I, I would say. Um, now. I think a lot of X fans loved Prisoner X, would love to see you come back to the X books. If you could, who are some characters that you would love to work with that you haven't yet? Well, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the villains, of the enemies. The villains, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would like a lot, even uh, my last work, if it was my last work, I, I wish that it was that. Uh, something with apocalypse. Apocalypse. I, I love apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. If this is a, a a major character or a popular character, but 
I like I like the design. <laughs> I I really like to maintain the original customer. So because sometimes I feel in some companies I don't I, I would not say which or but I, I don't like to feel that the the, the companies uh, feel ashamed about its own charities. Oh really? Uh, because sometimes you see a big charity using a, a, a more real costume just to fit with the reality and that's a good thing but you don't you don't have to lose uh, the, that thing that all, some people feel ridiculous man it's comics we, we, we love that thing we love the, the long caves and, and uh, like why why uh, some characters need cave to fly they don't need it, but it's, it looks awesome. Yes. Yeah, like Thor. Thor is not the same without Cape, so we need that game. Well, it's so interesting that you say that, because earlier today I got a chance to talk to Marcus Toe, who's working on the new Excalibur book, yeah. and Apocalypse is in that book. Huh. Now, he was saying that he's kind of redesigned the character to look almost uh, ancient Egyptian. Huh. You know, with long, flowy robes. He said he almost wanted him to look like a pharaoh. Yeah. Um, I think that would be really fun. I mean, you would probably knock that out of the park to do a little apocalypse story like that. Yeah, yeah, but um, like like you said, I, I'm not, um, uh, I don't know, um, angry is not the word, sorry for my English. I'm not angry with those decisions to change the characters to fit in the story, like apocalypse being a, a, a pharaoh. But... <laughs> uh, I don't like this. This works with that story, but uh, I I hate when people like uh, strikers. Uh, I see so many people angry with uh, the the customer and um, Jessica and Spider Woman, and I don't know why. It's it's his customer. I I love that customer. It, I know it's uh, something strange to see, but it's it's cool to see in the original character. Now with Strike Force, yes. you have characters. You have a really interesting cast there. Yeah. Who, who are some of your favorites that you've been drawing for that book? Well, I, I love to draw Wicked. Yeah. yeah. With his fractions. Uh, I love Angela. He's a really hard <laughs> custom. Uh, custom that is but so, um, but I love that. and Bucky. I love Bucky. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, um, we're at New York Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, what are you most excited for in the next year uh, that, that either you're working on or, or something you want to read? What are you excited about for comics? Yeah, I, I always excited to, to talk with the editors and see what is the upcoming project. Um, now I have uh, some numbers of Strike Force, so I'm, I'm trying to maintain my, my entity. <laughs> but... Uh, I I just I'm just happy to be here. Uh, here be here. I'm from Argentina and this is like a, almost like a dream to me because uh, actually I I thought that I will never be up in a plane. So I, this is my fourth time in, in New York Comic Con and it's amazing. It's amazing that uh, someone is speaking another language. The uh, principal here is the, the capital of the comics, uh, and saying that he knows me, it's, for me, it's amazing. It, I am complete with only with that. 
Well, I got to say, Armana, I personally think you're one of the most talented artists in the business right now. I look forward to seeing what you're doing. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. We thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. And again, I'm sorry for my English. No, don't apologize. Do <laughs> uh, your English is about one million times better than my Spanish. So uh, <laughs> thank you for your time. I'm here with Matt Rosenberg, writer of the last X-Men story ever in Uncanny X-Men. Turns out uh, that wasn't true, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe not. And before that, Astonishing X-Men, New Mutants, Dead Souls, and uh, my personal fave, Multiple Man. Uh, let, let's not talk X-Men for a second. I saw online that you actually just visited ILM. Yes. How yeah. was that? Uh, it was... Uh, it's weird. I was a weird little kid. And uh, I love Star Wars, love Star Wars my whole life. And I think because my parents worked in film and television, like, I had, I never had that, like, Santa Claus isn't real moment. Like, I knew where movies came from. Yeah. So I was in love with Star Wars, but I was also in love with the idea of Star Wars getting made. So it, from a very young age, like, visiting Lucasfilm and ILM was, like, very big deal for me yeah. in a way that, like, I think is maybe weird. And, uh, yeah, so I went last week to uh, the Lucasfilm campus and ILM, and uh, I had the thing that the morning of where I was like, I built this up in my head way too much, and, like, this is an office where people work, who you work with, like, just, it's not, it's going to be an office work trip, and it was so awesome, and I was, like, geeking out, and I had to, like, remember <laughs> to breathe and stuff. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I can just imagine seeing an actual Porg in a case or, you know, yeah, some yeah. of the old original stuff. It's pretty wild, right? Yeah, and, it, you know, like, they're just such, like, ILM has done so much, like, touched so much awesome stuff. So there's, like, stuff from Die Hard and Cocoon and, like, just, like, stuff where you're like, oh, yeah, I forget, like, War Your of the entire Worlds. childhood is yeah, there on this play, like, right? Yeah, and it's just, like, so amazing to be like, oh, yeah, there's E.T., but also, like, stuff from The Abyss and Rocketeer and Ant-Man, and you're just like, oh, it's just, like, they're just amazing geniuses, so, like, being around them is inspiring. I can imagine that would be completely overwhelming. I didn't, I didn't know that your family was uh, in film and television. What, what kind yeah. of stuff did they do? Uh, my dad is a writer. Um, he wrote uh, a lot of TV. He wrote a lot of TV movies um, and uh, some network TV uh, a while back. He's also written a lot of novels and stuff. And my mom, mom was an editor, a book editor, but she wrote a movie. So, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, do they, like, give you feedback? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It must sure. be a little disconcerting to have an editor mother. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my mom is not, uh, my mom's funny. She, uh, the movie, she, she wrote a movie called Maniac. It's a, uh, really terrible slasher film. Uh, really horrific and uh, pretty offensive. Uh, and then in the 40 years since she wrote that, she has uh, softened a lot. So I spent a lot of time telling her what I'm going to do in a book. And she just goes, why does it have to be so mean? Why is it sad, though? And then I have to be like, Mom, you shot a lady in the face in her car. Like, leave me alone. I, now I'm going to go and see if I can find watch that. It's terrible. Uh, that's okay. Uh, every, every once in a while you need a, uh, a, a not-so-great movie, right? Sure. Um, all right, let's 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 talk a little bit about you know your X-Men stuff, because you have really been a, a pretty big architect in the line uh, over the last two years, I would say. 
uh, between Multiple Man, Dead Souls, and then going into Uncanny. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the Multiple Man book. Thank you. Um, but I can also imagine at the same time that that was a challenging script to write, given yeah. that almost every character in your book is the same character, sort of. Sort of. Like, how, how, do you, how do you approach that as a writer? Uh, I mean... <laughs> There was a point when uh, I was talking to Marvel and I was like, yeah, you know, the fun of the book is that at the end of the day, every character is one character and the whole thing, because the time travel takes place in around 11 minutes. And they looked so distraught when I told them that. But but then when I started working on it, I was like, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of a cop-out because, I mean, you know, in Peter David's run, he establishes really well that, like, Every dupe is sort of his own facet of the personality. Right, right. So, like, yes, they're all Jamie, but, like, if you're writing them all the same, you're not doing your job right. right. They're all unique Jamies. Yeah. And so it's it's fun to, like, uh, write a bunch of the same character, but be like, what? This one's a little different. This is a little different. Um, and that was sort of the, the most fun. I mean, I love Jamie as a character. Peter David's X Factor is... Uh, if it's not in your top five favorite Marvel comics runs of all time, like I don't know what what you're reading. Uh, but it's uh, so like just getting to play with him is is always a thrill and and yeah. But it was a uh, a very complex book. There, I have a lot of charts and graphs, and we were going to put a lot of them in the trade because I literally had to. Uh, my original editor, Christina Harrington, like. I handmade charts to be like, this is this, this is him. Like, yeah. he's the villain and the, you know, right. the protagonist and the antagonist of the story at different times. And like, here he is here. And like, um, and I had all these charts and we were going to put them in the trade. And then I was like, eh, maybe it's better to not show how the songs are just made. <laughs> well, I can almost imagine that, like, for Andy McDonald having to sort of communicate which one is which. It's almost like you needed a serial number system or something, you know? Yeah, like, we, we had... I put shorthand nicknames, and I was okay. always like, we should have real nicknames for them. And then I had these shorthand nicknames, and, and Andy, who is uh, the absolute best uh, person in the universe and my favorite, uh, he actually made trading cards oh, really? for us that are them. What a great idea. And he put the, like, script nicknames, so they're all, like fake Hulk and fake Doctor Strange and, fake, and I was like that wasn't really for the public to know that that's what we call them but uh, that was the simplest shorthand now you followed up Multiple Man with uh, what I consider another stone cold classic which is the Dead Souls Immunes thank you um, now I think one of the things that took a lot of readers back was that this was not just going to be this sort of isolated you know start and finish in the same place at what point did you know was it was it part of the pitch that he was going to end on this cliffhanger? Um, it, it's a complicated thing. Uh, that book was in flux a lot. Uh, okay. There was a lot of sort of editorial and regime changes. Uh, but me and Adam Gorham drew it uh, when we knew it was a, it was going we were going to do six issues and then go on to something else. I, I talked to him and I said I want to make the real pitch. There's a there's a thing that in Marvel fandom, uh, which which is very alien to me and the way I approach my fandom, but is a very real thing, which is the idea that miniseries don't count. Yeah. That people are like, well, it doesn't fundamentally change characters. It doesn't. You can skip it. And I view all of it as entertainment. So I, my answer is always, did you enjoy it? Then it counted. Like that's that's yeah, the bottom of line. Um, 
But that's not how everyone reads the books. And I made a plea to Marvel, and I was like, if we're going to do these as miniseries, like, let's make them count for the people who don't think miniseries count. Like, let's change status quo, so let's shake things up. And I knew that I was staying with X-Men for a while, and I could follow things up. And, and part of it, I, I, I had a long talk with them where I, I said, you know, look, I, I grew up on Claremont. Like, that, that's, you know, the idea of, like, threads dangling and being revisited in a few years and this thing you thought was a nothing moment coming back and being major. And I said, we can't do that anymore because no one's doing these five-year, ten-year runs. And I said, but I think I can do it. I can thread it through all these miniseries where, like, you don't have to read them. They're standalone. Multiple Man's a standalone book. The New Mutants a standalone book. Phoenix Resurrection's a standalone book. But if you do read them, you realize that there's a, a, a through line and, and a tapestry. It's part of this bigger tapestry. Um, and I knew we were heading towards Uncanny and I could bring it all to a close there. So, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was. They were nervous about it. Mom was really nervous about it. But I was like, look, I'm doing Astonishing X-Men. You're going to see them again. Like, this isn't going to die. You'll see them on Astonishing. You'll see them on Uncanny. We're going to, we're, we're not going to leave this for some other writer to ignore. Um, so if I can ask, like, yeah. when you're actually working on Dead Souls, you're already aware of the fact that you're going to be part of the uh, disassembled uh, plotline? Or did we you didn't know, know what it exactly was. Um, we knew, like, Jonathan was coming to do House of X and Powers of Ten, and we knew that. And so there was a, like, something is coming, and you guys are going to have to knock everything down so he can build it back yeah, up. Yeah. So we didn't know it was going to be uncanny and disassembled, and it, it that shifted, but we knew it was going to be something, because me and Kelly and Ed were all, like, doing a lot of X stuff, so we were the people. And they came to us and said, what is it going to be? Initially, uh... Disassembled was going to just be the end. Interesting. Um, okay. And then uh, what came out of it was going to be a part of uh, the Age of X-Men. Okay. And uh, and I was going to do a, a, you know, I pitched a thing called The World Without X-Men. That was going to oh. be Wolverine and Cyclops. And then they were like, well, this is going to be uncanny now. And so you're going to keep going. Your world without X-Men is going to be the second act of that. So. that that's really interesting because I, I think your run on Uncanny may have been received differently if it had been sort of a, a mini-series or, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's funny the, like, perception of things because it's constantly shifting sort of yeah um because you know i have people who are like oh i didn't know you knew what jonathan was going to do and it's like no he was hired before i did. like he's we heard his pitch before we start, sat down to work like yeah. um and so i was like no i'm setting i was setting up things in motion they wanted it to go to a dark place and all these things and people were like oh that's interesting and they're like, so it's part of it. And I was like, well, it's not part of it. Like, Jonathan's is Jonathan's, mine's mine. But, like, they're all X-Men. Like, yeah. uh, it's part of it in the same way that Joss Whedon's is part of it and Grant Morrison's is part of it. Like, <laughs> they're all X-Men. Right. You know, Marvel doesn't reboot. So it's all there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, fans, you know, 
it's uh, my uncanny run is a, a very uh, divisive thing among fans, which is uh, in some ways is very fun uh, to be that. It's it's always you know people get really heated and and uh, you know I don't want people to be angry, um, but I hope they see now what Jonathan's doing and are like, oh, I, I'm very excited because uh, it's awesome. But you know, I have people every day like I'm here and I'm signing. Uncanny, and they're just like, oh, I, I love it so much, and it's it's this, and uh, it means this much to me, and and so it's it's interesting uh, to to see the different reactions to it. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there have been some vocal detractors, but sure. you were very clear about the thesis statement of what that book was going to be from page one of issue eleven. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you were misleading anybody into thinking that this was going to be some like you know cheery, peppy thing it was going to be dark no. and uh, yeah. and you were telling the last story of that era yeah right i mean that's yeah i mean marvel's marketing was very clear that it was like the end of an era this yeah. is you know it's stan and jack and then it's i don't remember what they said the eras were stan and jack and then giant size number 1 and then age of apocalypse and then grant and like uh, by Marvel's term, I, I would define the eras of X-Men a little differently, I think, than yeah. what they came up with, but, you know, by their definition, like, I was ending the Grant Morrison era, and, you know, Grant Morrison era opened with 8 million mutants dying, and it closed with 14 of your favorites dying. <laughs> um, um, so, Let me, let me pose you this, because it, it does seem that even throughout this creative process of working on these various books, you have an idea that, you know, the Hoxpox stuff is coming. Sure. You know, you know that train is coming to town, but this is still, like, you know, for you probably, writing Uncanny has got to be, like, a huge dream assignment. Yeah. So, do, do you feel like you, you know, got everything you wanted out of doing that run, or do, do you still feel like you would have had more to tell? You know? Oh, I mean, you know, uh, X-Men's my favorite. I was going to say comic, but uh, X-Men and Star Wars are my two favorite works of fiction, works of art in the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could always tell more, but I knew... Uh, you know, when I started writing X-Men, I sort of had this very ambitious, loose dream of, like... To me, I think there's, like... You know, I don't want to give too much of sort of my thought process away, but there's five or six types of X-Men books uh -huh. that are very... You recognize them and you know what they are. And I did my best to sort of... Other than space ones, uh, to, to uh, try and tell one of each. Okay. And so, like, people are like, oh, Multiple Man reminds me of Ecstatics. And it's like, okay... And then they're like, you know, New Mutants is very much like the, the old New Mutants, kids in over their heads, like, uh, in a world they don't understand. And I was like, yeah, but, like, I also, like, look at New Mutants, like, I wanted it to feel a little like, like a book like District X or, or like that, or, like, um, deal with some of those corners. And, and uh, you know, Astonishing is the lovable loser story, and, and uh, Phoenix Resurrection is the big soap opera love affair you know, personal personal tragedy, spotlight on a character kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, like, the Claremont run is is a lot of things, but, like, uh, 
the defining thing of, of Chris Claremont's run for me as a child when I read it was like, it was the only comic I read where like, you were scared. Like you, you read each issue being like, I don't know if they make it out of this. Like the Avengers, you know, save the world at the end of the day because you know there's going to be another comic next week. The X-Men, it's like, they're not trying to save the world, they're trying to survive. They're fighting to survive, and they don't always do it. And, like, you know, from, you know, Mutant Massacre and the Outback Saga and, and all these, you know, Extinction and all, all these amazing runs, like, they're terrifying and they're heartbreaking. And, like, they take you to a really dark place and then they pull you out of it at the last second and, and they survive and because they, they fight. And I was like, "That's that'll be my last thing." It's like the the dark, heartbreaking, scary one. Um, and I I said to Marvel, "I was like, I'm gonna write like I'm never gonna write these characters again, because I I don't know. I'm going off to do other things." Um, you know, I spoke to Jonathan a little bit about coming on and doing stuff in uh, Dawn of X, and I just, you know, uh, Jonathan's amazing and and super sweet, and he was like, "Let me know what you want to do," and I I'm such a fan of his and what he's doing. And I said, I, I think I told my story for now and I, I want to be a fan again. Um, and so I wrote like that. I wrote to end it for me for now so I can be a fan. So that was sort of my approach. There's something so bittersweet about all of this. Um, I, there were concepts that you got a chance to play with that you know probably needed a little bit more breathing room. And that's not a criticism of your writing. Um, one, one of the characters that I'm absolutely fascinated by which seems, I still don't know if Hickman is picking up on this thread at all, is the idea of what Soul did with X. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, the idea of, of Professor X's psyche, but not his soul, not his body, not his brain, because yeah. those have been dealt with separately, in the body of Phantom X. And, yeah. and you did get to, to play with that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I really loved... Uh, when I picked up Astonishing from Charles, uh, I was like, I want a clean break. Like, he had a 12-issue story to tell. Trying to extend his story doesn't isn't fair to him. Yeah. But then he had X, and so I called him, and I'm, I'm friends with Charles. And I was like, I really like X. And he's like, I want, I want him around. I want him to see more. And I was like, okay. So I put him in the annual uh, because I think he's a, he's a modern... Charles is a very, uh, reading 1960s X-Men, you kind of win, uh, like, Charles makes you cringe a little bit. You, you wince at some of the things where you're like, yeah. Oh, wow. Still does. Yeah. <laughs> still does. And I love that. And I don't, I don't ever want to be like Charles Xavier's a villain. I don't think he is. Right, right. But like, he's a man playing a game at a level that like, we're not meant to understand it. Mm -hmm. And he's making choices that we're not meant to be okay with. And to me, X is that character, but he doesn't try and hide it anymore. He's like, and I think that's really fun. And the chance to take the original four in this case and, and tell that was really awesome. Uh, I had more X plans that I wanted to do. And then we sort of agreed that it, it, it we didn't have the space and we didn't have the okay. room for it. So that was never going to get visited as part of the Uncanny Run? Uh, <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to tell me. Uh, I early on it became not what we were gonna do, but okay. it was uh, originally an idea. It was an idea that was definitely talked about a lot. Like me and Jordan went over it a lot. Yeah, Jordan White. I'm editor. still fascinated by 
you know, what the through line is there. If because I, I I still in my brain I'm still trying to like put the roadmap together to get to where Hickman is right now. Sure, yeah. You know, especially with I'm assuming you're reading it, right? Yeah, you're, of course. You're, you're enjoying it. Uh, yeah, you know, great. all of the more Metagard stuff, and you know, there being multiple different. Uh, so we've got. I don't even want to get into it. It's too complicated. Sure. But you know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, so, what? Uh, aside from X Men, did I hear correctly that uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank is a screenplay that you're working on right now? Is that that the case? Yes. Okay. Uh, I can't really talk much about it. Okay. But there right. is a there's a movie in development. All right. For sure. Very cool. Um, and we're really excited about it. Um, it's sort of been a bunch of places and been with a bunch of people and screenwriters and, uh, you know, these things happen or they don't. And like, I'm a comic book writer. That's, that's my love. And, uh, so me and Tyler boss sort of don't pay much attention, but it's actually gotten to a place where we're very, it, after a couple of years, it's gotten to a place where like, we're actually very excited about it. Very so. cool. Well, I hope it works out. I would love to see that story up on the screen in some way. Um, you're friends with a lot of people in the industry, uh, you know, right? Like, yeah, I guess you're talking to a lot of people. Um, last question. What, what are you most excited about? I mean, we're here at New York city comic con. There's announcements galore. Let's say the next year, like what, what's your big thing that you're, you're just pumped for, man. Uh, one thing, it could be anything, Uh, even something you're working on. I'm very excited for a book I'm announcing next week. Okay, so we'll, uh, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. Um, man, I'm excited for a lot. Uh, I am really, really loving what Ed Brisson's doing on Ghost Rider. is great. Um, really loving what Kelly is doing. Uh, what you all are going to see she's doing with Deadpool. Uh, it, it literally... She messages me ideas, and I'm, like, laughing for two minutes about them. They're so good. What a great combination, too, with Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just awesome. Uh, but, like, so much stuff. Like, Marvel is doing amazing work. Uh, like, in every corner, like, Donnie on Venom and Al on Hulk and Mark Wade on Doctor Strange and Jason and obviously all the X stuff. Like, a lot of the upcoming X writers are very close friends of mine, uh, Vita and Tini and... Um, they're just awesome, and I like could not be more excited to see what they do. And uh, I'm really excited for James Tynan on Batman. Oh, like, okay. So good. Like, if ever there was a dude who like earned a book by just like doing the work and having the passion for it, it's James. So I I can't wait to see that. Um, I don't know. All the stuff Vault is putting out is awesome. I've been really digging their books and. Uh, I don't know, I'm blanking on a million things. No, but that, comics, that's a pretty I, great list. Yeah, I mean, you know, I spend way too much money in the comic shop every week and, like, don't regret any of it. So I know that it's, like, a great time to be a comics fan, and I, I don't know, it's really fun. All right, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And I hope you have a, a great rest of the weekend. We'll see. <laughs> All right, I am here with Adriano de Benedetto who is currently inking R.V. Silva's pencils on Powers of Ten. Yes. Uh, Adriano, I think I first encountered your work with R.V. Silva in X-Men Gold. Um, how long have you guys been working together? 
Uh, we actually been working together since 2015. We did a, an independent book. It was actually my first professional book. Okay. Uh, with RB, and he like really appreciated what I did with the inking. That the next year when he started doing the Nova, we did like three issues. He just called me. I'm like, we would be up to do that. I'm like, no, no brainer for me. Like, we're for Marvel. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> So what's your working relationship like with RB? We, we usually talk a lot. Uh, we have uh, we both enjoy uh, a lot of music. So he plays drums and I play guitar. So we used to do like when we finished uh, a full issue, I would go to his town, which is like 40 minutes from mine, and we jam. Oh my God. Just like, yeah. <laughs> Please tell me there are recordings of this band. We, we used to, yeah, just like... Just, just riffs and not like post songs because neither of us sing. Oh, okay. But we used to do like we did like a live from you know, on Instagram. Uh, people seem to enjoy that. Oh, I'd love to hear that. That'd be great. Um, now, do both of you work just completely traditional with actual pencils? And I, I'm looking at your table, uh, you know, pen and ink. How, how are you working? Yeah, uh, I always work traditional. Mm -hmm. RB sent me. Uh, the digital pencils, he always does everything on the Cintiq, everything full digital, and I, I will receive it by email or Dropbox, print it out, 11 by 17 on blue lines, and ink it, so the inks are traditional, so I have the original. So do you ever, you know, go back and edit anything digitally, or is it all traditional from start Sometimes to Sometimes we, if we have, like, uh, some something from the editor... Okay. Like, oh, this uniform, like the costume should be different, this character shouldn't be there. Sometimes RB sent me the pens, sometimes he corrects all, all on, on digital. Now, I think a lot of uh, people have compared your work with RB to uh, the pair of Stuart Eminem and Wade Von Grabadger, uh, oh. which, huge compliment. Are oh, they, yes, are they it really is. Are they influence on you guys? Oh, they you always is. I mean... How can I mean? You, if you get like ten artists here, like eight out of ten are like influenced by him, and he's such a great artist. So yeah, it's kind of hard not to uh, to yeah. love his stuff, right? Now, one of the things that I've noticed with Powers of Ten yeah. is it, it seems like it's a huge artistic leap forward for both of you guys. Um, the amount of detail that you're pouring into each page. Um, the, the sets, the, the facial expressions, like everything about it um, just seems to have evolved. Do you, do you feel like you guys have personally kind of stepped it up for this particular uh, run? I believe it's, it's always an evolution. Yeah. I mean, that's important. You're, that's what you seek as an artist. And uh, with also the script will take us so, so many different places, so many different eras. Yeah. Then, I mean, if RB didn't step up it would feel, I mean, you see what Pepe is doing. And like, oh, we used, we got his page, like, we should, like, keep it up because he's, he's also a fantastic artist. So do you feel like you're, like, competing with Pepe in terms no, of... No, it's like a um, friendly... I mean, like, like on Formula One, there's two drivers on the same team. Yeah. So we're... Okay. Because yeah. I, I got to say, like, you know, Pepe Larraz, I think... Uh, for for me, is one of the best in the business right now. Ah, totally but, agree, totally. But, but you guys have like your powers of ten books. I think in some cases are better. Um, you know, thank you. I, I absolutely loved it, and I think you guys have some unique challenges with your book. 
Um, you know, whereas House of, Ten, uh, House of X is primarily, you know, just about the events on Krakoa, yeah. you guys are dealing with multiple timelines, yeah. you know, very futuristic stuff. Uh, you've got phalanx to draw. So yeah. what, what's, what are those challenges like for you guys? Uh, I believe the first one was like understanding what the script was about. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I got the first issue, so like page one, we have four different times out. What's going on? <laughs> but uh, we did some, RB is starting to do his own inking from now on. Oh. So we did like half of the first issues. Uh, so the, the thing with the phalanx, he did all, all digital. Okay. So he can play with his brushes and do yeah. a lot of things that would like make me crazy if this was up to me. So I'm glad it, it kind of happened. Okay. But, but you guys are still collaborating, right? No, this is our final work. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So now, uh, beyond inking, do you do your own pencils? Do you do your own uh, original artwork? Yeah, I do only on, on conventions. I do some sketching, but okay. like small head sketches and uh, busts on, on, on sketch covers. But I, 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 I've always penciled, like, since I was a child. I mean, everyone who loves comic books well, sometime in their lives should, like, maybe picked up a pencil and started inking. Then I, I went forward to inking. People was like, oh, your drawings are good, but your inking is better. You should focus on that. I was okay. like, oh, well, okay, I'll give it a try. And then I got, when I started using brushes, I was like, oh, this is a new, this is it. So I'm, I'm seeing some, are these watercolor brushes? Uh, yeah. What do you these prefer are, to use? These are Winsor Newton brushes. Okay. People usually do watercolor, but yeah, a lot of inkers use that. Yeah, I so you're all brushes, no, no nibs. No, or anything like I, that? I do a lot of microns, and I oh, used okay. to do rapidographs. Yeah, but they are like rechargeable, and it, ah, it's too much, too much for me. Okay. <laughs> so, um, what's next for you? You know, if if um, RV isn't you know going to be if he's going to be doing his own stuff, what, what's on your palette? Like yeah, I'm game. going for a while. To DC to work on. Really? Oh, I'm, it wasn't announced yet. But oh, so okay. I, I can so I just, that I, No, I, just, I would just say that I'll go to DC. Okay. We won't share the title. All right. But it's a very short story. Then I'm, I'm coming back to Marvel to work with, with Jorge Molina again. Whoa, awesome. Because yeah. we did uh, the War of the Realms, Land of Giants there. And I it, loved the War of the Realms book. I thought that was absolutely you. amazing. You know, that also had some unique, interesting challenges to it, too. You're drawing, like, giant frost giants and, you know, horses killer dogs. And the horses. Horses are like horses. an artist's nightmare, right? Yeah, people say the worst thing you could draw is horses, but uh, Pegasus is <laughs> worse because it's a horse and it's with wings. wings. And it's like... Yeah, I can, uh, I can see that being a, a problem. Um, out of all of your, your work in Powers of Ten... Um, you know, did you have a favorite character that you like to work on more than anybody else? I always love working on Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, you can look at my banner yeah, here. Yeah, he's like, right here on your yeah. banner. Uh, I usually, people, when people give me something to sketch, ah, which one would you like to draw? Oh, Wolverine, I do Wolverine, yeah. <laughs> hey, he's I, a great I really character. like doing his hair, his facial hair, like greedy stuff. Well, it's also pretty funny in the script that, like, when you get to the future, everybody yeah. else is like this weird chimera. And then I was like, when Wolverine popped up, there was discussion. Well, who's who's he mixed with? And I was like, yeah. he's just Wolverine. Of course yeah, he, he had is. like <laughs> white beard. Yeah, he's got a great beard. 
Well, uh, Adriana, thank you so much for taking some time. Thank you. I hope you have a lovely weekend here at the con. Thanks. Oh, it's been great so far. uh, I wish you the best. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. It's great. Let me just jump right in. I'm here with Abraham Reisman, uh, writer for New York Magazine and Vulture, renowned for his comics journalism. Ah, shucks. Uh, Abe is hard at work on a Stan Lee bio for Penguin Random House, which is due out in 2020. Fall 2020 is the target. Okay. Do it. All right, so uh, we're here at New York City Comic Con. You're running a bunch of panels. Um, What do you think, you know, comics journalism as a whole? I mean, we're sitting in this press area. Uh, (laughs) What do you think about the current state of comics journalism? Oh, geez. I wish it were better, and I think any comics journalist will tell you that, too. This is not me pointing fingers or naming names, but just, look, the resources aren't there. The readership isn't there. And as a result, you have this industry where it's kind of a democracy dies in darkness situation where, like, you don't really have any robust, well-trained journalism operations holding this industry to account. And so all kinds of awful BS ends up happening. And, you know, it's really... I'm sorry we're starting on such a negative note. No, go for it. I I just wish... I wish... (laughs) We could get to a place where you could have some kind of amalgamation of like the high quality writing of classic comics alliance with like the deep sourcing of bleeding cool mm. and like the institutional resources that I have. You know, if you could sort of merge a lot and, and you know, the experience of say like a Heidi McDonald and the beat, if you could somehow swirl all of that together in some magic potion, you'd have something that I think would really change the industry both uh, for readers and for creators and and professionals and unfortunately we don't have that right now. You hear rumblings every time comics journalists get together um, you know these these ragtag ragamuffins uh, at at cons everybody talks about like okay this is the year we're going to do it we're going to start a new comics news source and it's going to be the good one we're going to nail it and I just have yet to see the Papa money bags pop up who can fund yeah. something like that. It's really too bad. Well, it seems so driven by clicks and, and you know, Google ad counts. Oh, and, God. You well, know. you have some places, again, I'm not going to name names, where it's just the most execrable, like, listicle crap. Yeah. Like, you know, just... Again, if I get into any more detail, people will know who the various <laughs> sites I'm talking about. But We all know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we all know who we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, that being said, though, you know, uh, I, I think I just came from a conversation with Matt Rosenberg where, you know... A wonderful writer. The the quality of what's coming out, even from the major publishers, is, is really high the, right the, now. Like the, like the comics themselves? Yeah. Or, yes. Yeah. Oh, there's some wonderful stuff out there right now. Yeah, stuff that maybe deserves, like, some deeper analysis. A hundred percent. Isn't necessarily we, we getting some, it. There's good analysis. I feel like we're not lacking for people who are willing to... God bless them, write for no money, um, uh, long essays about, okay, this is why this comic is interesting, or here's my theory about the underlying architecture of this comic. But what's lacking is nonfiction journalism, you know, is people getting sourced up, going through archives, going through records, getting people to talk to them behind the scenes, and putting together stuff that is not just analysis as important as analysis is. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about actual journalism. Right, exactly, <laughs> which 
sadly just doesn't get a place. Because then you have, you know, major places like, you know, the place I work, New York Magazine and Vulture, which I'm so lucky, so lucky that they have allowed me to write the stuff that I've written. But, like, you know, the person who was editing my comics stuff, a wonderful editor, um, who was our music editor, left earlier this year. God, was it last year? I can't remember. It's all blurring together since I've been working on this book. But a few months ago, he left, and I don't have anyone to edit my comics pieces. Like the, and that's not because Vulture is like a bad place to work for. It's just there's no incentive for them to hire a full-time comics right. editor. That's true. I just lucked out for a few years that we had this excellent music editor who happened to know a ton about comics. And so now I still get stuff published if it's like pegged to a movie or a TV show because you can then, you know, have the movies editor or the TV editor look at it. But they don't have the deep... Like they're wonderful people, but they don't have the like decades of knowledge of this stuff, so they can't challenge me on things. They're sort of taking my word for it, and um, it's just unfortunate that you don't have those two ends meeting. The like the places that have the resources but don't necessarily have the readership, and the people who have the readership but not the resources. So well, let's let's talk Fantasyland a little bit. Okay, Fantasyland. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting um, all down in the dumps. No, no, no. It's okay because I think we all recognize that there are definitely issues with the industry. Yeah. Um, you're doing a couple panels here I am, at the con, yes. um, both about the industry, about the the business of comics in general, um, editing. Yes, and are these, editing. Yeah. Are these areas that you're particularly fascinated? Oh, 100. percent Especially, I mean, you know, it's a broad topic, the business of comics, quote yeah. unquote. But you know, increasingly. What I find most invigorating about my wonderful, very lucky to have job is being able to report on the comics industry as a place of business as opposed to the place where like my childhood dreams came true or whatever. Like yeah. I the more you report on an industry, the more dissolution you get with it. Okay. Um and a lot of times it's hard for me to enjoy a given comic because I'll be like I've read so many goddamn comics that at this point <laughs> this just feels formulaic and idiotic. Right, right. Or you'll like know things that are unsavory about a creator or something. Yep. You're like, oh, I can't unknow that. It's hard for me to really just throw myself into this. Um, or, or there's the special thing that happens for people who do, you know, comics journalists. Um, which is uh, if you had an unpleasant interaction with a creator, mm. unfortunately that can kind of color your ability to like consume their content. But the business itself. That never stops being interesting because as a journalist, you get a fair amount of cynicism and that cynicism can really power you to look at something incisively uh, and not with Ruby Quartz colored glasses. And thank you. Thank you, everybody. I'm still a geek. Don't worry. I may be a cynic, but um, and it's it's really thrilling when you can kind of dig into how this place ticks. And so, yeah, the business of comics panel that I'm doing, you know, we have editors and um, you know uh, people from Diamond and retailers and um, it's it's just this way of looking holistically at how an industry that doesn't make a ton of money directly but indirectly makes bajillions of dollars for other people outside of it yep. how that works that ecosystem is so fascinating to me that food chain is so fascinating to me and so um, and then the editing, you know, that panel happened yesterday, and it went really well. We had some really smart editors uh, from various companies, various backgrounds, and um, 
that's just the invisible art, you know. No one, no one talks about editors. I mean, I led off the panel by talking about how, not to make it about me, but like I'm writing the Stan Lee book, and what's fascinating to me is you can dispute so much about what Stan did as a writer. You can dispute so little about how good he was as an editor. Mm. He was a tremendously good editor. Mm -hmm. And yet, because editing is not a skill that people in comics, at least in the readership, or, you know, oftentimes among professionals, really value, you don't get a sense of how important editing is. So we had a nice conversation, and, yeah, I would say those are two areas that I I get pretty passionate about. Um, I think it's very interesting that you're doing a panel on editing, but at the same time you're lacking a comic An editor, yeah, editor well, I know, I know. It's There's some bad. irony to I that. I still have some good, I, I don't want to throw under the bus my wonderful editors that I do have. They're just uh, busy and not as big geeks as I am. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about your Stan Lee book, because sure. um, you know, I... I have always been a big fan of your work. Um, I love your Steve Ditko piece, uh, especially oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. You know, you're actually going and knocking on his door to yeah. see if there's a response. I caught a little heat for that, but I, I don't regret it. No, you shouldn't. Um, what has the research process been like for you in terms of... The research of- process has been pretty wild. It's, um, it's kind of insane what you can end up doing when you are not on a tight deadline. Uh-huh. When you have... And I was, I was very lucky that uh, I'm writing for a, a, a wonderful publisher that was generous in giving me a good advance. So I've had resources to fly places mm-hmm. and, you know, um, you know uh, buy material and whatever. Once you have those boundaries kind of opened up for you, you'll be surprised the kinds of things you can fall neck deep into in a good way. So, for example, one of the first things I did as soon as I... I'm part-time at New York Magazine right now uh, because I wanted the flexibility to be able to focus on the book. Sure. I'm still writing for them, but I'm not on staff for right now. And um, so one of the first things I did right after I went part-time was I did a two-stage trip out west. I first went to the University of Wyoming, which, bizarrely enough, is where Stan's archives are housed. Oh, okay. A lot of people don't know that. Um, And uh, then right after I was done with that, I was there for a week. I then flew to Los Angeles to interview people that knew Stan and worked with Stan and attend this uh, Stan tribute that happened. Um, this is back in January. And, um, you know, th- that trip was kind of in microcosm a lot of what I've been doing in that the book, the book draws some on actual comics, but what I've tried to do, and, you know, we'll see how this shakes out. I'm still so far from this book actually coming out. Um, but what I'm trying to do is not focus so much on the comics themselves as stories because there's so much already written about that. I mean, these comics have been digested. Well, I should say the famous comics of his have been digested to death. There's a lot of stuff that's more obscure that is interesting but um, hasn't been. Uh, But what I'm getting at is I want this book to be appealing to people who have no interest in comics. Okay. As well as people who have an interest in comics, but I would like there to be not so much bogging down in the material of sequential art and instead going, okay, here's this guy who had this truly fascinating, very controversial life and it has barely been explored. Like, there are people who know stuff in vague outline, there are Mm -hmm. people who know the hagiography, 
um, very few people, including me before I really started digging into this, kind of have a sense of the full scope of this person's, you know, almost 96 years on this planet. And it's, uh, the research has been largely, I've done more than 150 interviews for this thing. Wow. Um, So a lot of interviews, a lot of going through, you know, thousands of pages of documents uh, from his archives and from other sources that I've gotten, you know, legal documents. There was a ton of legal trouble that he was in, both as an individual and as a part of his two post-Marvel companies, Stanley Media and POW Entertainment, so digging into all of that. Um, you know, it's kind of, of a cornucopia. Once you start looking, you can find a whole lot of stuff just kind of waiting for you, and then there's the stuff that isn't waiting for you that you really have to, you know, dig for. And, um, you know, I have ADD, so research is not my favorite thing to do in the world. I much prefer writing because I'm actually, like, doing something. Yeah. I'm sort of the inverse of the average journalist, which is not a brag. It, it's a, a problem just the same as everybody has problems with their process. Um, but I've been very lucky in that I've had a lot of interesting material to be able to go through and research. That's my long-winded answer to your question. No, it's it's great. And I, I think it is a huge challenge because you are talking about someone who lived for almost 100 years. Literally, and, almost 100 years. You know, it's crazy. And what, what you're saying in terms of what public perception is of his uh, his life, I mean, I feel like my best understanding of it is probably from Sean Howe's, yeah, from Sean Howe's untold uh, story. But, yeah. but that's so much about... The, the, the company. Yes. You know? And I, and he's about so much more than that. So much more than that. And I adore that book. That book is in many ways the reason I'm a comics journalist today because I read that and went like, oh, well, you can write this way yep. uh, about this industry. And um, Sean's a, a good friend of mine. Oh, okay. And um, I, I have nothing but tremendous respect for him. And if anything, my fear is that there are going to be certain sections where I, like... Uh, let me put it this way. I'm really trying to, like, one-up Sean, and it's hard because he did such a good job. But, like, you have to sort of... He, he forces you to bring your A game when you're going through the stretches of material that he has written about. Yeah. But then I'm lucky because there's a ton of stuff that Sean, not through negligence in any way, didn't get into. Because, look, he was dealing with a cast of hundreds of people and telling the story of this company much of which had nothing to do with, especially in the last 20 years of Stan's life, what was going on. Yeah. And then you, that's not even getting into something which I will not get into detail about because it is still a very evolving situation that I, I have not come to conclusions about. But then you get into the stuff that Sean couldn't have written about because it was the last year and a half of Stan's life when right. really awful stuff was yeah. going down. And, you know, Sean doesn't have anything on that. And that's fine. That was couldn't have, but that's a huge component of the latter third of my book because not only was it just sort of, you know, interesting, dramatic, blah, 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 it reveals a ton about Stan, and it was sort of the first time after, like, almost 96 years of living a very private, private life, abruptly his private life was all over the headlines. Yeah. I mean, if you were looking, he wasn't the top story, you know, we're living in Trump's world. No, but, but there, there, there were... And, and that was actually something I wanted to ask you about, sure. was, you know, researching the the history of his early years is probably a lot, I, I don't want to say easier, but you're, you're dealing with um, there, I feel like, a much more simple research process, whereas if you're dealing oh, with the God. very end of his the life, very end of his life, we're talking gets, about, yeah. like, active 
people active who are criminal still active lawsuits and criminal right. investigations. Like, th isn't that no, tricky? I, oh God, you have no idea. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, you know, there are people at this con who are involved in all of that who I've either met up with or I'm trying to meet up with, and every time I talk to people involved, I get them telling me everything you know is wrong. And then the next person I tell you says, you know, don't believe that last yeah. guy you talked to. He's just trying. I mean, it's a hall of mirrors. Yeah. And I'm not going, I'm most likely, spoiler alert, not going to in the book say, okay, I've conclusively figured out the yeah. objectively true narrative of what happened in the last year and a half of Stan's life. Um, but I'm going to do my best to present all the information I've gathered um, with as skeptical an eye as possible because, you know, so many people involved in that saga have a vested interest in not telling the truth. Of course. And it's it's an enormous challenge. I hope I'm up to it. You know, I'm I'm about I, I, I'm still I'm very well into the book. I've gotten up to let's see, what was I writing today? I'm at like 1965 right now. Um, more than a third of the way in. And um, you know, luckily I have some time left before I have to be writing that last few chapters. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a really difficult thing to do, and uh, I'm really relishing the challenge, but I, it'll, let me just put it this way. I'm hiring a fact checker, and there will be a lawyer going through this book point by point <laughs> to make sure we're not saying anything we can't back up, because there's some very litigious people I can only involved imagine. in this story. I can only imagine. Um, you're a comic books fan? Are, are you enjoying... I, weirdly, I have been so behind on comics, because I've been okay. reading all these old comics, but... I will tell you, I am very up on Hoxpox. I was just going to ask. Because I am over the moon with how much I'm enjoying these books. Yeah. They're so good. Yep. It, I mean, I had been a Hickman fan for a while. I have a Hickman quote on my goddamn arm. I don't oh, know really? You, yeah, That's I'm wearing it. a tweed jacket and a button-up, so I don't want to take it all it off. From? But It's from Fantastic Four Dark Reign. Yeah. It is uh, when uh, Reed scrawls onto his wall, idea number 101, solve everything. Yeah, yeah. So that, I have the, a direct lift of the lettering from that. That is it's so funny. idea number one, solve, it looks sort of like a note to myself. I, I, had, I used to have that tacked onto my bulletin board uh, in my office See, for it's like a, years. Great. You know? Okay, we're on the same page. Yeah. No, I, I sometimes regret it because I'll be like, oh, God, solve everything. I can't do that. <laughs> Why did I make that my no, motto? But, but, but isn't it also about kind of the futility of that as well? Yes. You know? Exactly. See, you're a smart guy. <laughs> you get it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a matter of aspiration rather than uh, direct achievement. But um, I uh, love Hickman. I think, I mean, there are some Hickman things I like better than other things, but I think... His work at Marvel is is in the pantheon. I think he sure. he's as good a writer as Marvel has ever had. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so into Hoxpox right now, especially also because, um, you know, I, I won't go down this road, but I'm Jewish and I spend a lot of time thinking and writing about uh, Jewish issues and uh, topics that are related to Jews and Judaism. And what's fascinating is I got... Uh, an advanced PDF of the first issue from mm -hmm. Marvel um, and I was in Los Angeles doing San Diego Comic Con or it was post San Diego I was doing some research uh, for the book I get this PDF and I read through it and I went oh my god is Hickman doing an Israel thing here? Yep. <laughs> like I literally it sure seems like uh, it sure seems like it. I was like did I smoke too much pot while I was here? like am I just thinking this comic was written for me personally? Um, but 
I, especially in uh, the last couple of issues, yeah. you know, House of X 5 and, wait, is it House of X 6 and Powers of 10 5? So, uh, yes. Because they keep changing up yeah, the order uh, of when they come House out week X by week. House of X is over now. Right, so and House of X Powers 6 of 10 and Powers is of 10. still coming out right. Wednesday. Well, anyway, those last two issues, when they get into, like, the founding of a nation yeah. state and, like, you know... Um, talking about how, you know, we need to make more mutants and, you know, birth rate stuff. It's just, he's wading into some very dangerous territory, and I will always respect someone in comics who's willing to roll the dice and risk um, being too ambitious. This is one of the reasons why I'm one of the last people out there who, I don't want to say defends, but uh, still finds fascinating, like early aughts Mark Miller comics like when he was really going for broke and just being like how can I offend everyone who's ever lived like that, I, that's a good summation of his career of, well at least that period <laughs> now he's, he's 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 a little more palatable but um, when it comes to Hickman it's so my only complaint about Hickman is sometimes it's so much information to take in that I start to get mad at myself not at him but at myself that I'm not taking enough time to like mm. in this case literally decode the comics yes. I mean you have yes. the alphabetical uh, the cipher uh, not to be confused with cipher the mutant and I don't carry the cipher around like with me on a day to day basis so if I'm like reading this on the subway I'm like I guess I'll read the Hawks Pox talks <laughs> you know discussion of this later, later or yeah. I'll decode it or whatever so I'm behind on decoding some of it but like I think he's just well, and we're not even talking about the art. The art is stunning. Yeah, I was just talking to uh, Adriano Di Benedetto, and yeah. I think that and, uh, he was he was very humble about it. But even like Pepe Larraz's art and his work with RB yeah. Silva, I mean, it's just like they've dialed it up to like a no, it's, it's incredible. Crazy. It's like and the the styles, the penciling styles are just similar enough that you're not getting whiplash when right. you go back and forth yep. between the two series. But it's still, um, you know, they each have their, their flares and their strengths. And I just, there, there hasn't been a false move yet. Now, it hasn't been that many issues, so right. who knows. But, like, look, the guy had his initial run of, you know, FF into Avengers slash New Avengers into Secret Wars. And, like, yeah, there were some issues there that weren't great. You but know, he still landed it. But he still freaking landed it. <laughs> when, very rarely in comics, do you see somebody landing the end of a yeah. mega arc. Yeah. Usually there's either editorial interference or they run out of steam yep. or they get bored or whatever. But, like, that last page of Secret Wars number eight or whatever it was that they dialed the uh, series count up to with Doom laughing, everybody lives. I was like, how did you do that? Yep. That was, like... It was, what is it, 2009 that he did Dark Reign all the way up to, like, 2016? And it was, like, one story. It's like, that's some Grant Morrison shit, man. Well, and that's why when you hear them joke at SDCC about, like, well, I've got, you know, he... Yeah, he was, and what did he say? It was, like, 30 he said, years? I've got, I've got, what did he say? I think I I've think got it was like three decades multiple decades. Yeah, multiple know, worth decades. Of stuff. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. There's yeah. multiple decades worth of like material to build on just in these whatever it is, you know, eleven issues yeah. that he's put out already. You have stuff where like that issue with the sinister secrets where you're just like, oh my god, each one of these yep. each one of these, you know, one sentence capsules is more story than X-Men writers have been allowed to put in their comics. For years. Well, and you're bringing up a good point because I do think that like it's pretty cool to see Marvel allow someone to yes. kind of go off the chain a little bit. You know I don't. What I, mean? I don't know what the internal politics were necessarily for all that. I mean, there's rumors that you hear, but like 
I I don't know what the difference is, but something has changed where they are allowing the X-Men to be as complicated as they have been in the past mm-hmm. and not just be a nostalgia exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is moving the ball way forward. I mean, you know, literally like what what is what is the X to the power of three is what? Uh, a thousand years yeah, in the future? Yeah, a thousand years with the librarian. A thousand years in the future with the yeah. librarian, right. I mean, God, in that one issue, like, you think, oh, God, he's, you know, he's talking about the um, uh, the Kardashev scale and, so, like, you know, type whatever civilizations. And then he, like, one-ups that and he has, like, you know, galactic civilizations. And then in that most, the second most recent issue when he's just like, oh, yeah, and by the way, here are some, like, universal civilizations. Like, this is one that's the size of, like, eight black holes yeah. or whatever the hell. Like, Jesus he also introduced Christ. the uh, the Kerbon. The Kerbon, <laughs> I know. I I I would have missed that. I think because I was I read comics too fast. But I, I can't. Remember. Was it you? I think you were the one. I just brought it up because I didn't see anybody else talking about yeah, it. Yeah, you tweeted about it. And I was like, that is God it's bless. wild. I know. Yeah. I could talk about Hoxpox all day. But yeah. It's well, I am glad that you're enjoying it. Um, what are you like the most excited about coming up? You know, in terms of, of comics, I'm very curious to see how Dawn of X works because what Hickman is doing right now in House of X and Powers of Ten is so specifically him Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how you translate necessarily the premises that I'm not saying it can't be done by any means I just literally don't know what it's going to look like how you translate this set of weird premises that he's bringing up uh, into different writers' styles. Artists yeah. I'm, I'm not as concerned about because it's comics. I mean, he's not... This isn't Sienkiewicz drawing Warlock. You're not, like, worried, like, how could somebody draw this like right. that? He's still drawing standard X characters. They're, they're drawing standard X characters. But, like, when it comes to the writing, you know, you have some really talented uh, writers working on this stuff. But at the same time, they're not the idiosyncratic thing that Hickman is. It's, me, it's not me comparing them in terms of yeah. who's more talented. It's just Hickman has this weird brain and... I'm curious to see how other people play around in the sandbox that he this this weird, uh, you know, uh, what what is it? Um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like building up the the structure out of the mashed potatoes. Like, I'm just curious to see other people trying to interpret whatever yeah. he's doing. Yeah, me um, too. And well, you know, one thing I will shout out is I have been so fascinated to see one writer who I'm really enjoying reading. And I'll confess that we've become mildly friendly, so take this as the biased thing that it may or may not be, is uh, Leah Williams. I'm uh, really loving reading. Well, Leah's sort of taking this... The Gwenpool is... The Gwenpool stuff, is a, it's great. Next level. It's so funny. It's and so, so good. As such heart... I think, I think there are a lot of smart people out there, and Leah is one person to watch. Wave 2. Wave 2. She's on Wave 2. Yep. Um... All right, one last very left field question. Yes, uh oh. Uh, you did, within the last couple of years, sit down with uh, a former classmate, am I correct, Rivers Cuomo? I did. <laughs> <laughs> now, yes. Now, Zach and I are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Weezer purist. Oh, really? I'm a huge fan past Matt Sharp's departure, but sure. um, a friend of the show, Chris Hassan, uh, actually did an article for Adventures in Poor Taste about is Rivers Cuomo an, an actual, actual X-Men? X-Men? Fan. Right, because you have and, In the Garage, obviously, right. where he mentions it. But and, and Weezer has been, like, referenced in the X-Men. Correct. Any insight on this? I wish I could tell you. I, I actually recently spent some time with Rivers, uh, because why not? Um, he had said <laughs> at the end of our last interview, he was like, uh, if you're ever in L.A., like, 
shoot me an email. So I did. I figured, you know, this is the great thing about being a journalist is like every once in a while, an interesting person will just say like, come visit me. And you'll be like, sure, great. Why not? So we had dinner uh, a few months ago and I wish I had thought to bring up like, so were you actually reading those comics? Or were you like referencing something else? Because he like... Similarly, I used to wonder that about pro wrestling because in Pinkerton oh, yeah. he has the thing like yeah. you know, watching grunge leg drop New Jack through a press table, but it's referenced specifically in that song as like what he's reading in someone else's diary. Yeah, sorry, we're getting really wonky. No, here, that's but okay. Like, I, I wish I these days one does not get the sense that Rivers spends a ton of time engaging with popular culture because nope. he's really into like meditation and being a father. Yeah, but. I, I, the next time I see him, I will ask him, and I will get back to you about that. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. His, he's really gone on the record saying that a lot of his lyrics, especially in the, the latter years, have just yeah. been kind of a word salad. Yes. So yes. I'm curious how far back that you extends. You should interview him. There's stuff I can't tell you because he told it to me in confidence, but if you ever get to interview him, he's kind of an open book. Um, oh, that the way, would be fascinating. The way he writes songs and constructs set lists is so fascinating. Yeah. Like... I can't tell you the stuff, but it involves, like, spreadsheets and, like, yep. outsourcing to Fiverr and, like, I, it's such a strange and, in my opinion, like, next-level way to write stuff. <laughs> Even if you don't like the finished product, I feel like you have to admire the fact that he's trying to write songs in a fundamentally different way Absolutely. than they've written before. Yeah, it's very unique. Well, Abe, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, oh, very God, much I'm, looking forward to, the, uh, to the Stan Lee book. Anytime. And, Fall uh, 2020. Look out for it. I hope you have uh, a great rest of your con. You too. All right, I am here with Marvel senior editor and decipherer of all things Hickman, Jordan <laughs> D. White. Jordan, it is a pleasure to finally meet you in person. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm having a nice time. Good. And uh, we're, we're getting ready to uh, go to the Dawn of X panel in, yep. in just under, uh, just about an hour. Yep. Um, let's start by talking about conventions. We're here at NYCC. <laughs> okay. um, you did SDCC yep. uh, the last round. These are massive crowds, massive expectations for panel reveals. Uh, at this point in your career, like, what do you enjoy about coming to these things, and what is just a complete bummer for you? I, I, I love doing panels, and I love seeing, obviously, I love seeing our collaborators that we don't see ever. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, you know, San Diego, I got to hang out with Jonathan a bunch, which I talked to him on the phone plenty, but I'm not actually face-to-face with him. Um, and so, same for this show. When people come here that I, I see so rarely, it's awesome. Um, the part I hate is those two shows in particular are too crowded for my tastes. I don't like walking through masses of people. Um, that's it's like C2E2. That's a delightful show. It's not as crowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a little bit more comic centric, uh, which I love. Uh, but again, I, you know, the thing that's great about conventions is that I love comics and we're, at a place where everybody is there because they love comics or other facets of, of whatever you want to call it, geek culture, <laughs> you know. Uh, when I can, I do like going through and, like, going to the shops, buying stuff, buying toys for my kid or whatever, and stuff for myself as well. Did you find lie. anything cool? I found um, a couple of really fun things. I didn't get anything here. Uh, oh, okay. see, honestly, actually, New York is a little bit harder for me because... Uh, because it's local for me, yeah. that's actually less convenient. Yeah. Because my I can't like bop off to a hotel room. My my house is over an hour <laughs> away from here. Uh, whereas I go to San Diego, I can be like, oh, I'll buy a bunch of stuff, walk back to the hotel, drop it all off, I'm fine. Yeah. 
Um, so, but here you're, you're stuck with it. If here you're I have to, it, I have to right? haul everything around. Exactly. Like I bought the that uh, Grant Morrison X Men Omnibus at, at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. And it's like I'm not going to buy anything like that here. <laughs> that would break my back. I started flipping through some of the uh, the Essentials phone books, and I was like, Oh nope, yeah. Why? I'm not doing this to myself because <laughs> it's just going to go in the backpack. So. Um, this coming, this episode is going to come out not this coming Monday, but the week, the Monday after. So by the time we're there, Hoxpox will already have ended. Okay. Um, since we're approaching the end of Hoxpox, what has been your reaction to the critical and fan reaction to the series as a whole? I mean, generally speaking, people really love it. Yeah. Which is amazing and great. I mean, I have loved the story for a long time. I've been working on it for so long and been so wrapped up in it. Uh, Watching it actually come out has been uh, just a joy because, again, everybody has been as excited as I was. Um, I mean, Jonathan is... Uh, listen, he's never going to listen to this, I assume, so I can, <laughs> I can feel free to say really nice things about him that I wouldn't want to say to his face. He's so talented. Um, he might be the best writer at, at executing the idea exactly as he conceived it. Okay. You know, like, he'll tell us, here's what I'm going to do. And we're like, okay, yeah. And then when he actually does it, it's like, that he nailed it. He did it exactly. And um, that's what it's been, this, this, whole, this whole phase of the, this whole stretch of the, the way. You know, again, he first told us about his ideas for House of X and Powers of Ten. I mean, over a year ago, I, maybe a year and a half ago, I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and things that things that seemed so crazy to us at the time have now been executed perfectly and like are just so awesome. <laughs> well, I have to ask. I, I think when we had you on our show the last time, we were kind of talking a little bit about the pitch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned the thing that I didn't the like. The thing that either you didn't like or like that the whole room just went like wah gaga over it. and like. I'm just trying to imagine what people's reactions were to things like the five, or um, well, you know, if there are things that like. I mean, the, the big the big things that made people go like, "Oh my god," were. I mean, the the, the biggest ones were Moira. Yep. I mean, there are all the things that everybody went. Oh my yep. god! The yep. the fact that mutants don't die yep. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yep. That was a pretty big one. Yeah. Um, you know, those are those are probably the two biggest biggest ones. Um, and and they did. People were like, "What?" And he, and he explained why and what he's going to do with that and how it works. And it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Like that really does change everything, and that really does. I mean, you, yeah. The bulk of that is is out. I mean, there's one, as we speak, there's one issue left to come out. Yeah. Even though obviously this will be out after that, so everybody will see how all of that plays out. But it's not so much a spoiler as much as a, a, a reverse spoiler to tell you in person right now that. You know, those things aren't going away. Mm -hmm. Powers of Ten number six is not a magic wand that goes, okay, it's back to normal. It's still Krakoa. Mutants still don't die. Like, this is, this is, this is for keeps. This is real. Um, and yeah, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. Um, now, this book has both books, or one book, however you want to look at yeah, it, either way. Um, has been a very popular book. Um, tons of second and third printings. 
-hmm. I think it's more variant covers than I have seen in a comic shop in forever. Well, um, I worked on Star Wars number one. Oh, so. okay, okay. <laughs> there were right. like 80 variant covers on that. <laughs> That's true. That, that one did have a lot. Um, has there been a relief as part of the X office to see that it is not only a creative triumph, but also that it is like selling well? Absolutely. I mean, one of the best things that I've heard is, is people talking about, you know, uh, shops telling us about, uh, how many new pull lists they've had to make yeah. for people just wanting these books mm -hmm. and who haven't been into the sh store in years. And that's amazing because that's, I mean, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to do X-Men that, Anyone who's ever been an X-Men fan or ever thought about being an X-Men fan could jump into with both feet and go, this feels like the X-Men, but also totally different, and where is this going to go? There's definitely buzz out there, too. Yeah. I mean, every week that I'm going in and getting my poll list, I'm hearing people come in and say, what's this X-Men thing that's going on? Can I get number one? And it's like, well, no, that... That one might cost you a little bit. I think we, the fourth print is out now. Yeah, but we have all the we have all the printing, so we can get you that we can get you set up. Now, you were just mentioning a lot of these sort of radical new ideas that yeah. he's introduced into this X universe. Um, I I think these are like genius level retcons, and and there's risks in a lot of what it is that he's doing. Oh yeah. Um, when I have had the opportunity to talk to uh, Vito without getting into specifics about what's happening in Wave Two. Um, there does seem to be a trust with the writers that they are also going to be allowed to take some risks. Yeah. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, one of the biggest, I don't want to say difficulties, but one of the challenges is that he's, he's, he is doing so much to change what an X-Men story is in the present. Yeah. That we definitely had to do a lot of, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Educating is not quite the right word, but like showing everybody what is going on because it's so fundamentally different. If you're sure. going to come in and do the same X-Men story you would have done a year ago, it's just not going to fit. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it has to be different. It has to be new. And um, if you're going to do that, you do have to give a lot of leeway. I mean, to talk about the books that, that we already do know about a bit, you know, we've got... Uh, you know, Marauders is as different of an X-Men book as you can pirates. get. <laughs> X-Men pirates. pirates is is bananas. But it, it really, I mean, again, now that all of House of X is out, I think it's a lot more clear what that book is. Yes. With the Hellfire Club being responsible for uh, distributing of these medicines to, to humankind, but also that there are all these nations that didn't take the deal. And, mm. you know, are we? can we get the medicines to people who need them? Can we get mutants out of those nations who need to? get out of those nations, and that's a great place for yeah, Kate, I think, I think Kate a lot of people over. are waiting for the uh, Wakandan uh, war with Krakow. Well, we'll, we'll have to see what happens yeah, with we'll that. We'll see. Um, so what, Wave 1 is already casting this very wide net. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we're going into space. We're going into the Navy. Mm -hmm. we're, you know, uh, but Wave 2, we're not really sure. How wide are we going here in terms of uh, creatively or um, even geographically with, with what we're doing? Well, I mean, uh, so we, we've... Well, creatively, I mean, we're trying to cover this whole new world. Like, you know, there's a lot of... There's so many... Now, again, now that everybody's read the 12 issues or the 11, depending, uh, they... You can see there's so many possibilities. Oh, yeah. Jonathan has done a lot of seeding of things uh, and setting up of stories. Uh, there's so many places to go, and you know he can only cover so many of them himself. There's going to be a lot of room for other books to explore those mm -hmm. things. Um, and if you look at 
the X-Men line traditionally, both not just when it was most successful, but even like, you know, more recently, you know, again, a year ago, uh, it's a pretty robust line. Yeah. Uh, we're coming say. off a few months where we only had four X-Men books in a month. Well, and, well five if you count uh, Dead Man Logan. And am I mistaken? There's a week of releases where there's six books in one, one Wednesday. Yes. I mean, that's ambitious. There is. Well, that's because that's, that's, a, that's a quirk of scheduling yeah. because of the holidays this year, two holidays falling on a Wednesday. Right. So we have really only had three weeks we could put books out. Yeah. But that month, again, so there's a lot of books that month, but is it, I mean, that's 12 books in December. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of books, but historically for X-Men, it's not that That's, many books. No, it's not. It could, it could be a lot more, right? <laughs> right. And so we're, we're, and as people have noted, we're double shipping uh, uh, books that month. I'll, I'll just come right out and tell you, we're, we're going to double ship them in January. Okay. But that's because we want to get as much story out as possible. We want to cement this new status quo. And the writers who are working on Wave 1 are the ones who have known about what that status quo is and how to to write an X-Men book in this new world and how things work in that uh, for the longest. And so we want to we want to model it so that, you know, a few months from now when a, uh, a writer comes up to me and says, hey, I've got an idea for an X-Men book, again, it's not going to be the one they had six months ago. Right. It's going to be, here's how that idea would work in this new world and why and, and how. So um, we've already got six books. Mm-hmm. We know that Leah's doing a book. Uh-huh. We know that Vita's doing a book. Uh-huh. I am hearing that there's a Wolverine book perhaps being announced today. You don't have to comment on that. Mm-hmm. I have heard the rumor of there perhaps being a cartoonist, whatever that means, on something. How many more additional... And, and again, this is just like, no one knows. Sure. No I, one I, knows. I mean, we're, we've got a lot of books cooking. Um don't expect to have a month with 30 X-Men books. Like, okay. We're not going to go crazy. <laughs> um, unless, listen, unless they sell that well. Yeah, sure. Suppose, but, they very well um, could. Who knows? There's currently no plans for anything that nuts. Um, that said, you know, we've got a lot of ideas and we've got a lot of things. We'll see which ones come to fruition when, you know. Uh, they don't all, they're not all going to come out at once, for yeah. sure. We'll, we'll stagger them and we'll, you know. Here's the other thing. We're not going to necessarily be afraid of saying this is a story that has an ending mm. when it does. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk o- over recent years of what's the difference between a ongoing and a, and a miniseries. And, you know, I, in the end, what matters is telling a good story. And, you know, some people feel like if you launch something as a miniseries, it won't sell. Mm. It'll, it'll automatically sell less than an ongoing. There's some, some evidence to back that up. There's other things that go against it. It's hard to say. We're going to tell stories as long as they need to be told, and hopefully not overstay our welcome on any. Well, I think that's a smart approach. You yeah. know, it's, you're not committing to anything past uh, you know what the creativity behind it can uh, actually supply. Right. Um, we'll always deliver. We'll always deliver a good, a good number of X Men books and uh, a, a solid flow of great stories. So. I'm not. I'm not worried about us uh, running out of ideas anytime soon. I, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> um, now you've got Hickman kind of setting up almost an isolationist tack here with with the nation states of Krakoa. I believe we've got an Atlantic and we've well, got it's just Pacific. one. I mean, it's just one state, but yes. Yeah. I mean, they've got the, the we have multiple portals, so they can walk islands, from right? islands. They, they can walk. They though. can go to the moon. They can go to the moon. They can go to space. They right. can go to now. Be, Despite this sort of like nation state where everybody is just there, um, I think fans were pretty surprised to see some X characters 
on ads for the upcoming incoming crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, how are how are the X Men going to be able to fit in with the larger Marvel U if sort of the uh, status quo of what it is that they're doing is establishing like, hey, this is our digs and we're chilling over here. Well, I mean, the answer is kind of twofold in that, first of all, it's, it's not like characters who aren't in New York can't interact with with the Marvel heroes in general. I mean, you know, characters from other countries can, can cross over with any character they want to. And it's even easier for mutants because, again, they can walk out of a portal in Madison Square Park. They can walk out of a a portal in in Central Park. That's right. Um, you know they and that's that's without count considering all their teleporters as well, <laughs> which they have plenty of. Um, so they they're not going to be missing from the Earth. Besides, like the Earth is like uh, their planet, so they should be able to you know go anywhere they want to on it, right? So <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, this this is a, a little bit of a shift, but um, this year we've seen the return of uh, some writers and some artists that align, um, some legacy people. Mm-hmm. People like Claremont, Sienkiewicz, uh, Sam Keith, Louise Simonson did a Power Pack story. Yeah. Um, are we going to continue to see honor, like legacy creators being honored moving forward? Or well, do you I mean, think that was uh, just you know right time, right place? Well, I like to think that we do that on a regular basis, generally speaking, but I think all the projects you specifically mentioned were part of our 80th anniversary celebration, oh, okay. specifically. All so, right. you know, that was the main, th- that was a specific effort to go, hey, to celebrate the 80th, let's let's revisit as many things as we can. But that being said, you know, for example, Chris Claremont was also involved in the, the wedding special, and, uh-huh. and he's been involved in various projects over the years. Um, I'm sure, generally speaking, we will continue to bring back folks who are our classic creators. They're the reason we love comics in the first place. Um, I know that some ex-fans have been patiently waiting for the Hoxpox trade mm-hmm. uh, to read it all in one. Um, we're in sort of an interesting publishing world with comics. Raina Telgemeier has the number one book in America as of last <laughs> week. I'm not sure if that's still holding on. Um where do you fall on the, the floppies versus waiting for the trade argument? Well, um, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated question. Obviously, all sales count. Mm-hmm. But, generally speaking, comic books that... Generally speaking, comic books that are published as single issues sell in trade relative to the way they sell in, in, in floppies. Which okay. is not to say... It, it dictates it, but it, it, you know, I think, I think when people are ordering uh, their collected editions, they look at how the floppies sell in order to uh, to place their order to decide how many they want, mm-hmm. and so that affects it. And you know, obviously, books that more people buy and read and have more word of mouth are going to sell more as well. So, g- generally speaking, I think it is important to keep the sales of those those uh, single issues up. That's, I mean, that's the way the industry that does that. I mean, again, because the book you're talking about isn't from that model. Right, right, right. Uh, Different model, right? <laughs> but the, the books that we do, that's, that's the way that they survive. Um, when we do original graphic novels, you know, they don't make as much money. <laughs> okay. They're fun to do, and they're neat, and I'm sure we will continue to do them sometimes for various reasons. And, but, like... Generally speaking, our comics do better by a lot. 
Yeah. Um, uh, to me personally, my personal thinking on it is that I like reading uh, sing, uh, single issue comics as they come out as much as possible, but I do love getting collected editions for for a permanent yeah. <laughs> thing. Like, I mean, the books I love the most, I I get in all forms. Yeah. I mean, listen, my favorite, well. <laughs> One of my favorite comic series in the world is Savage Dragon, and I literally buy the single issues, the trades, and the black and white editions. <laughs> so, so you have it three, three times. I have every everyone. issue three times, yeah. Well, everybody's got that. You know, like any X-Men story that you continuously buy in different formats, I feel like... Uh, well, I, again, I'm, I, <laughs> those ones are all at least a little different. It's not yeah. If they just put out a new version of the trade, I'm not going to buy it again. That's true. Um, but, uh, you know, well, that, I, that Grant Morrison one, I, I already have all the issues of that, yep. um, but I was like... That's a really beautiful it omnibus. Is a really nice I, omnibus. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the first edition; it was the newer one, the, I think third edition. Mm-hmm. But it's got a really awesome cover. Uh, under the the dust fold, it has the first spread from the oh, first issue, where cool. it's like uh, it, I, it's hard to describe. It's a beautiful giant X, and you yeah. see all their faces, and yeah, it's it's a super good looking book. And I was like, that's a really nice permanent way to look at that book. Um, I mean, so I'm happy about that. Well, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, the last time we spoke on the show, uh-huh. you were kind of redigesting Grant Morrison's uh, new X-Men yet again. You're a huge fan of it. Yeah, um, do you feel like you are like in the midst of another renaissance like that? I mean, I, I do. I do. I, it, which is a little nerve-wracking, but... but terrific and fun i mean i i definitely feel like i'm part of something special and i i obviously i'm not going to take the credit for that it's jonathan's genius that is is getting us to where we are um i'm just happy to be helping um and helping keep the the trains running and then organizing uh, the schedules and stuff for the <laughs> artists and stuff and make sure this book happens um i mean honestly i actually i i am really proud of the fact that we got all 12 issues out on time that's pretty amazing. It is. Well, Sometimes it was a nail biter. I mean, especially given, you know, you've got. I, I was talking to Adriana De Benito, uh, Benedetto. Our and Adriano, I feel like, stepped it up big time with their work. You know, absolutely. What I mean? uh, Pepe is killing it. Best in the biz, I think. I mean, and, and I, we were very sad to, uh, to, to that Marte had to step off. Yeah. Um, but David Curiel really, you know, knocked oh, it out of the park. Great he job, did a great, right? absolutely great job. Yeah. Um, I mean, Marte still has a couple pages in each of the last two issues, but mm-hmm. um, but the bulk of each of the of issue six is uh, is David. Um, and yeah, every single person involved in the books uh, just nailed it. Just absolutely nailed it. Um, the, and I mean, and Jonathan's you know text pages are so interesting and so cool, and I think changed the way that you. The pace of reading the comic and mm-hmm. the, the way you read the comic, which is, which again was what he was intending it to do, and he nailed <laughs> it. So there you go. Absolutely. Uh, those are those were fun. Those were fun to do, and I'm very excited about them. Like I, I, I know some people. I know some people. Some some fans were like, "Well, I'm just not going to read that," and that's fine. <laughs> okay. Like you're welcome to do whatever you want. 
You're missing out. I think you're missing out. There's some real good story stuff in there. Oh, my God. Like, just the Sinister Secrets alone. (laughs) Well, sure. That was, like, a massive (laughs) thing, right? On its own, you know? By the way, I had no idea that was coming. Oh, really? When when he turned that in, I was like, what? That must have been so delightful. (laughs) Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And we got to pour over them and figure out what was what and what he was talking about. It It was a blast. Uh, uh, no, I was I was very surprised by that, but in, in the best way. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for uh, sitting down, literally, uh, to, <laughs> to talk. Um, and uh, I hope you guys have a good Dawn of X panel. And I hope so too. Congratulations on Oxbox, man! You, thank you, you so made much. It through. We're I'm on really to the dawn. Yeah, yeah. I hope you like them. Wow, that was a lot of really great interviews, if I do say so myself. And I do, since I'm the only one here right now. Big shout out to anyone working at the con. It is truly amazing to see creators and artists Sally doing live commission work while hawking their wares, signing books, and trying to avoid getting con crud. Uh, I distinctly remember seeing Mark Silvestri eat an entire sandwich in front of me this weekend. And I think there's a really good lesson there, which is you got to take good care of yourselves, guys, because uh, it's hard to survive these things. Our thanks to Reed Pop and New York City Comic Con for uh, the press pass. Hope we can do that again sometime soon. Uh, next week on Battle of the Atom, we are packing our bags and heading to our friendly neighbors in the north, Canada, to spend some time with North Star. Until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survive the experience. Get it! I am here with one last very special guest. That's right. I am here with uh, my daughter. So uh, how was your New York Comic Con experience? Uh, fun. I liked it a lot. What was the very best thing that happened while we were there? Uh, going to Toki Doki and getting something from Agnes Garbowska. It was fun. What did you get from Agnes Garbowska? A drawing of the Teen Titans Go Starfire. Very, very cool. And do you want to go back to New York Comic Con next year? Yes. Well, you heard it here, folks. This is eyewitness account of wanting to go back to New York Comic Con next year. We'll see you then.